back to another episode of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. Uh, today, I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I've got the full usual crew here today. We have Josh Torres. Welcome back, Brian. We have Adam Vitali. Uh, nice to meet you, Brian. <laughs> we have James Galizio. Oh, he's muted. James, he's away. He's away from keyboard. <laughs> Oh my god. Right. And we also have sorry. We also have Chow <laughs> No worries. And Chow. Yes. <laughs> All right. So uh this is another episode of the Tetracast. And yes, this is my first episode back. I think I was away for three weeks. Uh so thank you all, everyone here, for holding down the fort while I was out. Uh it was nothing, nothing too exciting. It was just um my folks were visiting me. Uh for two weeks that overlapped over two Saturdays and I didn't want to, we were out and about doing things and didn't have time to record. And then uh, last Saturday, that morning was the partial solar eclipse, the ring of fire, whatever you call. So I was out with friends and didn't get back in time. So I missed three weeks in a row for those two, for those two reasons. But of it, course, it took I us so that... long to, to, to like know that it was the ring of fire. There was like three different names conjured up in this podcast. We're like, it's Someone a blood moon. Like, no, it's not blood moon. That's something <laughs> it's else. <a> <laughs> Like, it okay, is interesting, every... like every every three or four months, it always feels like this is the once in a lifetime to see the gray moon or the blue sun or the, and I'm just like, there's all these different, like, you'll never see this again. But then there's another like full, there's a full eclipse coming out in April, not coming out as if it's a release. It's schedule. premiering, it's a world <laughs> premiere. World premiere in April of next yeah. year. People are going to, we're going we're gonna to go where there's no light pollution out in nowhere, fly over country to go see the full eclipse. I don't know. But and then it right? tried to remember the name. Everyone thinks of like their favorite From Software game. But like, what did From, so- From Software call this event in their game? <laughs> Blood Moon. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I will. It was the Dark Souls Three DLC that had like a ring in the sky or something. I forget what it was called. Oh god, uh, yeah. I think it was called the Ringed City, and then in the sky was a ring. And no, but all things serious, it was really cool, and I'm glad I saw it. Um, cool. because it wasn't you know, obviously it was the partial eclipse, so it didn't get like super dark, but the temperature did drop like 20 degrees, which was kind of oh. like eerie. Oh. Uh, that was kind of, that was kind of fun. And of course, you're only supposed to view it through you know the very safe glasses or whatever. And people try to take pictures through their phones, like having the glasses over their phone camera taking pictures of it nice uh, it was pretty fun that didn't work my phone was not good enough at all but other people had better better phones than me were able to take some really cool pictures uh but yeah it was a good time um so but I'm back. At, the, at the gather that you were at uh where i was at there's a lot of parks that had a lot of different people um we were at a smaller park there's probably maybe like 100 people total but okay, it was so it's like a decent out. turnout like in person then okay because yeah. i thought I, I thought like you know as like we get more and more to like the digital age like more and more people wouldn't go out and see that for themselves it was like view like a youtube live stream or something for it yeah see some see some character you know live streaming the event but yeah there's we have a big park <laughs> on the north stream. side of town yeah <laughs> we have a big park on the north side of town that i'm guessing was way more crowded but we were we were at like a little a smaller park on like the western side of town okay uh but yeah it was a good time so i'm back for the next couple of weeks now i will say that i am out I think two weeks in late November, but one of those is the Saturday after the North American, or I guess the U.S. Thanksgiving anyway. And I'm, I think normally we skip that episode. I'm trying to remember if we normally do a recording. We record on Saturdays. Uh, if we record that Saturday after the the U.S. I think we did. I think we did last no. year. We we're just like, why not? Let's do it. Yeah, it's usually just if people are around and like, you know, it's like, hey, you want to record? It's like, ah, sure, why not? Shoot shit. All right. So we won't make that decision now. We don't know if we're going to be recording that Saturday or not. But I'll be out. 
So unfortunately for that, just well, out for different reasons. Well, Chow forgot his national heritage when his Thanksgiving was. Yeah, he forgot his Thanksgiving. That <laughs> <laughs> was crazy. He forgot it, or he just he, blew it off. No, he, no, he forgot it. it. <laughs> he was like, Thanksgiving was this weekend in Canada. Then, like five minutes later, no, wait, it was next weekend. <laughs> so, so, is it actually Canadian Thanksgiving right now, Chow, or not yet? <laughs> we're long past now. My oh, we're long past that a couple weeks ago. There, okay, now we can feel that we're Canadians. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations. I hope you enjoyed or you're ignored or ignored your Canadian Thanksgiving. All right. Well, without further ado, we'll go into actual podcast now. Uh, so while I was out, I don't really know what I missed. Like, I know uh, I think it was on the back end of TGS. And then I know there was a lot of stuff that was covered through page for PAX Australia. I think we have one final preview from that. Obviously, a couple of October game releases. I think you talked about the Silent Hope on one of the previous podcasts. Yeah, uh, we have a couple more October releases that we're going to be talking about on this podcast, including one that we've kind of put off. For a few weeks, it sounds like because I was uh, out. And that I, really yeah, I intentionally not ta- didn't talk about Phantom Liberty because I was like, "You're gonna, you're gonna come back here. You want to talk about it, so I'll talk about it with you when you come back." I think Brian, yeah, the first and... episode you missed, uh, we talked about Fate Samurai Remnant and right, okay, that was um, and Dragon Quest Die. We talked about last week. We talked about Lords of the Fallen. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you talk about uh, Lies of P? I don't think we ever no. really did. I don't think anyone's here. I don't think anyone's here, here, here on the podcast. Yeah, played like I mean, uh, I, I, I actually yeah, did buy it, did. but I haven't played it. You did buy yeah, it. Me too. Right. That, that counts. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't buy it yet. That's that's half the battle. I, I do Not want really. to play it. So, so yeah. While I was out, I did play through Phantom Liberty. I'll, we'll talk about that later. It'll be like I think we have it slotted third because it's not a full release. But be, basically, that took up most of my time out because I, I replayed through the whole game in order to experience that. So. Uh, it was about an 80-hour endeavor, but we'll get back over to that. We're going to open up with a few other October releases whose reviews went up on the website on RPGsite.net uh, just in the last week. Uh, opening up with something that Adam covered and just published a couple days ago, and that is a review of Cry Machina. So this game released in Japan a few months ago, but then we got the English release uh, just here in October. Um, Adam, I think... Did you talk about Cry Star on a previous podcast? Yeah, that two you weeks were ago, that I in believe. Preparation? Okay. Right. So you kind of teed up that you were playing that in preparation for this game, in a way. Yeah, I was looking at our review assignments, and just like, I think I'm actually in a pretty good spot to review this. So it was sort of a last-minute decision, but like, okay, I can review that. But I wanted to play Cry, Cry Star first. And kind of to answer the question, we, we've um, brought up on the podcast a few times, like, are, are these games actually related or not? Um, but I just kind of figured I'd play it anyways. I've actually have ended up, I think I've played most of like the modern Furu games now, except Congratulations. I haven't played that. You're now the authority on <laughs> yeah, I guess. Furu game quality. Um, did you did you play Trinity Trigger? Oh yeah, did, yeah did you? I did. Yeah, that's and right. I, did okay, not, that's I, right. I, I scored that a five. I didn't like that one. Um, but you hated anyways, the atomization of that one, right? it was weird how the weapon mechanics worked and how the multiplayer, not multiplayer worked. So I didn't really care for it. Gotcha. Um, anyways. So yeah, two weeks ago I talked about cry star. Um, I played it. It came out in 2019. I just played it now pretty much just so I can compare it to cry machina. And I heard it wasn't that long. I already talked about it. I Lucas reviewed cry star on our website back when it released, he gave it a five out of 10. He was not a fan. 
Um, I pretty much agree with him. There's like nothing really. It's not like an absolutely terrible or broken game. It's just there's nothing to latch on to. It's just kind of dreadful, kind of dull, kind of sluggish. Um, so Cry Machina, to answer the question, is this related to Crystar? Um, it's very obviously intentionally a follow-up um, in that it uses similar mechanics in places. It has like a similar art sketch style that it uses in some of like the vignette scenes. That's like, oh, this is very clearly meant to be like the same. Um, so it's meant to be a, a follow-up and there's some similar theming and whatnot, but there's no like shared lore or characters or anything like that even like the combat like direct gameplay is quite different so it's not even like an evolution of like the combat either it's just different so long story short it's yes a they are developer right yes it is a different developer too um mm -hmm. and so you don't need to play crystar first and it, there's you know unless you're like one of a lot i know a lot of us here on the podcast like to play you know semi sort of related games to kind of get maybe the full contacts, even if it's really not needed. Um, so yeah, Crystar was developed by Gem Drops. We're actually doing the Star Ocean 2 remake. Um, and Cry Machina was developed by Acrea, who does a lot of Sword Art Online games, including the newly released Sword Art Online. I forget the title. Last Recollection. Last Recollection. Last yeah. Recollection yeah. So yeah, same. It's the Sword Art Online developer. So um, Cry Machina. Uh, I do think it's considerably better than Crystar in a lot of ways. In both, it's like character writing and its narrative theming, and it's even in its even its plot. Even though it gets a little bit loopy and silly, is still more interesting than Crystar, which doesn't even have a pulse at times. Um, so, and the combat is much more interesting too. Uh, it's a very uneven game, though. I in my review, I reviewed it. I gave it a seven out of ten. It's it's a very uneven game, so it's kind of a mix of some bright spots and some really um, significant flaws that hold it back. That may or may not, you know, break you if you're uh, depending on what you're looking for in the game. So let me start with the good, I guess. So this game, the premise of the game, it opens up. You're in a hospital, and uh, it opens up to a teenage girl named Leben. Who is on her deathbed, or what would her, what would be her deathbed, and she dies to a succumbing to a disease that's ravaging the world, and then mysteriously, suddenly, in a sense, you wake up two thousand years later in a synthetic body in kind of space, just space, um, and you're met by a machine-like robot AI girl named Enoa, and she basically says, um, "We are going to revive humanity. We are going to." bring back humankind. And then from there, there's a lot of different events that happen. And the the plot actually gets kind of goofy and silly. And there's a couple of different twists. Some of them are like interesting and some of them are just kind of like that came out of nowhere. But contrived. Yeah. Well not contrived. It's just it's 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 like a roller coaster where it's like uh it kind of twists and turns and like maybe not memorable, but it's there. So as you might expect based on like the premise I just told you there are some themes in the game that um, are reminiscent, that are kind of tried and true in this space where it's like, these are now machine life forms or synthetic life forms trying to bring back humanity. What does it mean to be human? You know, what does it mean to have emotions? Can robots have emotions? You know, um, those sorts of things. I have seen more than one comparison to Nier Automata, which Nier Automata didn't really invent these themes either, but it's, you know, it's a, not, it's a, it's a sensible comparison to make. 
So in yeah. terms of theming, I wouldn't say it's necessarily like brand new, you know, ground here. It's stuff that you probably have seen before in sci-fi. There are a lot of sci-fi um, kind of themes and tropes in Crime Machina. But even still, I found that this was still significantly more interesting than anything my Crystar had to offer, which I can't even remember, and I played that two weeks ago. Um, there are some, you know, at times compelling dialogues about, like, these characters trying to be human again or trying to have emotions. And the character Renoa is actually a really interesting character, kind of an Igis type from Persona 3, where it's like, well, I'm not human. Can I learn what it means to be human sort of thing? And like I said, none of these are brand new concepts. You've probably seen them before somewhere. So if you're looking for just like novelty, it may not be here. But I still think here and there, there's some uh, interesting themes that come about, especially the theme of love, um, both like fraternal love, sororal love, and they get into those themes. And I think it's just like, you know what? This is actually semi-interesting. There's something here, which I couldn't say about Crystar or a few other Furyu games. What's like the narrative structure? Of this is like, is it like, are yeah. you going like, uh, like, are you going, are there like central characters that like, hey, this is like their arc? That yeah. Going up against? No. Okay. Um. So the structure of the game, um, I'll get to combat later. This mm -hmm. is actually one of the biggest flaws of the game, and is the biggest thing holding it back. So the game is level based in that you have a hub world or a hub world, a hub area, and you can only do like a few things here. You can there's like little tea party scenes you can have with the other characters and these are sort of what you expect there um it kind of reminds me of those uh like bar scenes and soul hackers too where it's just like a little mm -hmm. chat with the characters um and um there's actually i would actually say like maybe half or more of the dialogue is given through these little scenes it's not a very high budget game so there's not a, like a whole lot of like choreographed cutscenes or whatnot um so there's a lot of dialogue between characters that you see at the base um, you literally access them from a list where it's like, let's talk about, you know, you, you, there's different topics that you click and you just, there's a little bit of dialogue between the characters. Sometimes they're just more goofy, short banter, you know, just character interaction in that sense. Sometimes they're a little bit more thoughtful talking about some of the themes I mentioned before, but also at your base, you can do kind of the things you would expect. You can equip your characters, the new drops that you've gotten. Um, you can check some of your stats. You can allocate your your points that you get to level up your characters. I should mention that this game has a lot of jargon in terms of its mechanics. And it's one of those things where you just got to kind of quickly acclimate to like, oh, when they say willpower, that means strength. You know, it's just, it, they, there's some oh, jargon okay. they have to work around. It's it's whatever. It's you just um, that they throw around these terms that are unique to this game. But they, they have equivalencies in RPGs, of course. So from here, the game is level-based. You access the, the game in, in little levels. And these are like micro levels. It's like you literally go to like a portal and you go to like level one. Um, it's not called level one, but it's practically level one. And then you do like a two to five minute stage. And these stages, this is one of the biggest knocks against the game. There are level design in this game is pretty much non-existent in that it's a straight line. Almost every level in the game works like this. Linear path, literally like a straight line. And then like it opens up into like a little mini arena. You fight three to five enemies in it. And then another straight line. And then the boss at the end. Every stage is like a boss at the end. And that's 
I don't know, if there's 30, 40 stages in the game that you have to go through, they're pretty much all like that. There's a few tiny exceptions where you might have to like do a little quick jumping puzzle like to the left or something, but it's pretty much just like Huge. that. And it gets old pretty fast. This is quite literally the biggest knockback against the game is that it's very, very repetitive. And I was looking at a couple of the other reviews um, for the game and pretty much everyone says this. Even people who didn't like it, they're less like, this sucks. People who liked it, um or more like despite this you know like this this is the this is the bad part of the, about the game is that every level is pretty much the same mm-hmm. and so um the an, an issue that compounds this is that you when you complete a level this is actually something that was borrowed by crystar i don't know why they decided to do this but in crystar when you defeat a boss like a second or a third time, they have like a different drop that they give that second or third time. Like you, you can't get it the first time you beat the boss. So there's an incentive to replay a level and fight the boss again twice to get their other drops. And sometimes they're good weapons and armor that you can get. So, and not only that, but in terms of like the, the, the scale up of like levels in the game, you gain levels just like any RPG, you gain stats and whatnot. It feels like, the game expects you to replay the levels. So not only are they pretty much all the same, you have to kind of play them more than once. You don't absolutely have to, but it, it feels like you're really su- suggested to. Like so those, at least there's like a certain like uh, difficulty spike that you run it, that you like just ran um, into unexpectedly. So like about the first 60% of the game or so, I felt the game was actually quite easy, but there comes a mm-hmm. point near the end of the game when you have all three characters, the, the three characters level up independently. And there are some missions where you have to use one or the other. So I kind of felt like there were times, and this is almost like an RPG faux pas these days, where it's like, oh, this level, I have to use Makoto. I'll get to the characters in a second. Um, But I haven't really used her. So now I guess I got to play as Makoto in some of the previous levels that are a little lower level and kind of boost her up a bit and then do the level that I'm required to use her because she's 10 levels behind. So that's, that's the only real difficulty spike i ran into is oh i'm i have to use a character who's under leveled and when you try to do that of course it's difficult so those two issues are like the biggest knocks against the game the levels of design just is not there and you kind of have to replay it and the characters don't share exp so you kind of have to level them up separately which also forces you to kind of replay levels to power them up it is what it is so there are three characters in the game you play as levin or that's the main character levin um, she is actually German. She's a German character, if you're curious about that oh. name. Um, the other two characters in the game that you meet are Mikoto and Ami. They're Japanese. They actually make a quick point in the game how, like, Levin doesn't speak Japanese. She's actually speaking, presumably German, but they have a universal translator. Um, so they just hear each other in each other's languages. Just a okay. minor thing. Um, the game is Japanese voices only. And it was good. It was fine. Um, so I felt the characters are how do i put this mildly good they're not excellent but again better than crystar it's kind of a low bar um but i kind of felt like there were some moments between characters that was like you know what this is actually something here um they do have each have like a gimmick um makoto is really big into movies especially like movies of the 90s uh she makes references to like the matrix and um castaway at one point, oh, okay. There's, there's yeah. a there's a character named Wilson. It's just like a boss, nice. just like a random character. And then at one point, she goes, "Wilson," 
<laughs> and what's sort of funny? Uh, like, yeah, I, like I was not expecting this. What's sort of funny is that you you might be wondering: is that a localization, like um, flexibility, or whatnot? No, she literally says Wilson, like her Japanese voice actor does. Uh, so <laughs> okay, um, there's a point in one of the one of the numerous tea party dialogues that you have where they're talking about favorite movies, and actually the other character Ami says. Um, I like the movie. I, I have. I like the movie about the pig who becomes a shepherd, and also the movie where they're going through a wasteland uh, with flaming guitars. And that's Babe and Mad Max Fury Road. And then Makoto actually makes a comment. Did you know they had the same screenwriter? And they do in real life. <laughs> okay, it's like a bunch of movie nice. Yeah. Now th th this isn't a big part of the game, but there's a lot of dialogue, and it, this movie's come up a few times with Makoto because that's sort of like her gimmick. Um, so the characters do have their gimmicks, but they do have some, you know, believable character moments too. So I thought they were pretty good, not excellent. They're fine. <laughs> now, um, the story itself, like the narrative. Like I said before, it gets a little bit loopy. It, there's a lot of, um, there's actually an event about four or five hours in that kind of changes your perspectives of things. Um, maybe not to the point like a near automata or something like that, but it's just kind of, there's sort of an interesting just way of how they, how they display, how they portray like the, the series of events that you're actually taking place in. And there's kind of this, there's, there's, there's this sort of mystery element to it. You kind of want to figure out what is actually going on here. It gets a little bit loopy and it kind of falls apart, to be honest, but it's sort of like entertaining in a popcorn way. So long story short, I think the narrative is sort of like fun, but kind of uh, not very a lot of substance there. Some really good theming, some mildly interesting characters. Um, now combat. So um, I think James played the demo at NIS America's headquarters. There's a demo out now yep. that you can play also. Uh, let me start with Crystar's combat. I talked about this two weeks ago. Crystar is very stiff. I, th I mentioned this two weeks ago as well. It kind of felt like Tokyo Xanadu, only more simple than that, where you kind of just like slowly plot along a dungeon. You can do like a light attack, a heavy attack, and then like one skill. Um, and that's about it for Crystar. This game, it's much faster, much more fluid in terms of combat, and it just feels a lot better. Um, especially on a PC, the PC port's pretty good with high, um, with some actually supports high frame rates and that helps. So, um, you have a light attack, you have a heavy attack, the heavy attack launches the enemy, uh, at, in certain situations. So that, that, that stuff is not very, you know, that's pretty standard fare. Now where Crystar, Crymachina, excuse me, is more unique is that while each character wields like a main weapon, Levin uses a spear. Makoto uses a sword, Ami uses an axe, and their 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 attack speeds change slightly, but not too much. It's not like there's a huge difference between the characters. But outside of their main weapon, each character also has auxiliary weapons that are um if you've seen any of the screenshots or whatnot, they're the weapons that kind of float or float above the character's shoulders. They sometimes look like wings or sometimes other things that are floating above shoulders. And these weapons you can kind of use in conjunction with your main weapon, your main attacks, your light and heavy attacks. And they work on like a cooldown. And these weapons are probably the most interesting part of Crymachina's combat in that this is where it gets a little bit into the in the weeds, so bear with me. Uh, they have two different modes of operation, and the toggle between those two different modes depends on the weapon. 
And what do I mean by that? So Levin's first weapons that you get are spears. If you're far away from the enemy, like some certain set distance away, and you use her auxiliary weapons, they launch at the enemy kind of like missiles. Now, if you're close to the enemy, right. uh, like a certain distance, you know, within a certain range, they don't do that attack when you, you they use them. They do a different attack. They they strike like like they thrust more like spears rather than missiles. It's and, like a fighting game almost, where you're like you'll you'll have different moves come out if like depending on like yeah. distance from an enemy. So. Um, and these behaviors you actually can adjust later. Um, this is one of the things you can do at base. You can not only change what weapons they have that are their auxiliary weapons, but there's like different ones that have different behaviors. There's like different sets of spears where that toggle, rather than be, rather than it being distance from the enemy, it might be if the enemy is in a weak state or not, um, or if Levin has so much HP or whatnot. And you can bolster these auxiliary attacks with um, like various passive buffs like for example you can have it like this one will do critical damage or more likely to do critical damage when the enemy is weak or will prevent if you use this attack in a certain state it'll actually raise your defense for five seconds or something like that um and so there's a little bit of uh like building character building here in terms of how you want to how you want your characters to build to to, to work when you're using them um, I kind of did it haphazardly. I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. I don't think the game is that hard, um, even in the points where I was a little under leveled. But you can you could probably get pretty into into it if you wanted to. Now the game also has like a you can also talk you can also switch to like a a mode that's almost like a third person shooter, which is sort of weird in terms of like you 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 press the left trigger and you basically pull out a bow and arrow or something similar to that, and you can shoot. In like a third person mode it kind of feels like more just like a gimmick than anything else but there are times when it's it can actually be useful when like the boss is doing some sort of like like aoe surrounding them attack like well if you're doing that i'm just gonna fire a few arrows into you while i'm waiting for your attack to to clear yeah. um or whatnot so it's kind of it flows pretty well so i think the combat is not perfect it's not super deep and it does get a little bit repetitive once you kind of figure out like your, how to play it in terms of how to play a character, you kind of will end up doing the same thing over and over again. But it's still very fluid, very fast, and again, better than what Crystar had to offer. So um, the game is not very long. I beat it in about 15 hours, and that's the main story. And you can do all the uh, significant side events in about 20 total. So 20 total hours for this game which is pretty short for an RPG. But to be honest, I kind of feel like if it was any longer than that, the dungeon design, uh, even like the the story where it was going, and um, even I think the combat would get old if it was really much longer than that. So I, I think it actually works out in its favor that it's, you know, once you, once you kind of have seen what the game has to offer, you're almost at the end. But just kind of keep in mind that it, this is a short game, it's nice to have a couple short games every once in a while. That's up to you if it's worth the price or not. I think it's, is this a fifty dollar game? Um, I forget. Uh, but, let me go check. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there like any sort of like post game or like challenge mode to like like kind of incentivize you like building out and like maybe possibly min maxing? Yeah, there actually is a there actually is a post game boss uh, that I haven't beaten, but okay. at that point I'm kind of like ah eh, I don't know I don't oh. want to bother, but. <laughs> 
Um, Steam doesn't there, show the price. Uh, the uh, it's that's a nice America thing that they did with this guy at Sever. They have like an info chart on like Ultimate is the best value for your. <laughs> um, so I don't know actually the, the the MSRP for this from Steam alone. Um, yeah, is it getting a physical release? I think so. NIS America usually does physical releases, even with it's uh, yeah, yeah. It even has the uh, limited edition thing yeah. they generally do. So yeah, so a deluxe edition is sixty dollars. So I assume it's fifty dollars standard then. I think I think you can get like costumes for the characters because of course you can. Um, one thing this game has um, that is kind of honestly perplexing to me. This is actually introduced in Monarch, I believe. So throughout the game, and I know Mon- so Monarch, uh, Monarch was also one of those Furu games developed by Landcars. Now all of these Furu games, I, it's like they have like different like work workhorse developers that work on them but like furu is like involved in all of them it's kind of how they handle things um the uh monarch had a system in the game in monarch that was the uh that was like the shin megami tensei ish tactical rpg it also was not very good and you gain these phone numbers in the game that you could dial in and access like random stages and there were a lot of them in the game that like you just find you find a phone number in like some of like the notes and text that you can find through that game or like through patterns that you determine yourself to access like random levels and it kind of just feels like an awkward design just like you can access this random I level know ex- that has random characters or random I enemies. know ex- Go ahead. I know exactly where they got a- got that idea from Dot hack. Dot hack. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking dot hack the whole time. Okay. I never played dot <laughs> yeah, hack. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, so dot hack basically, you know, it's it's it simulates an MMO. It's a single player, but it simulates an MMO. And then the, like every time you go out to a field, you have to put three distinct like keywords and like link them together. But you can like experiment if you want oh. and like yeah, and then and also like, dot hack has like a whole like uh, in universe like forum for the MMO and people post like uh info about hey i found a rare monster here or something like that and it's like or sometimes like it's hidden real. forbidden holy ground you know yeah and sometimes it's like they're actually being nice other times it's like oh no they're going to gank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's definitely i'd be surprised if they didn't like they didn't yeah. do like a dot hack for that well, anyways <laughs> That's machina takes that system you like you can like find coordinates and then based on the coordinates i actually looked this up on a japanese wiki there's like various math rules that you can find like it's like three digits and four digits. It's like the three-digit numbers have to add up to like an even or an odd, and then the four-digit number has to pair up in a certain way. And if as long as you follow certain rules, you can like find different levels. I did like two of them, but there I, I was looking at the Japanese wiki. There's like hundreds of these, or at least more than a hundred. There's a lot. Is it is and, this for uh, Monarch or Crymachina? Crymachina. Uh, okay. I just brought up Monarch because that this it had like a very similar system. Okay. And it's just this this system is the series is like weird to me. It's like if you didn't like the levels that were already in the game, you can do like these optional random levels that are really not any different and have the same enemies. If you we just have hundreds to... of them, <laughs> and it's just I, I did like two or three, and I was just kind of like, okay, I don't get it. Um, I even put in my review, I'm not sure why Furyu thinks this is a good gameplay mechanic. Please stop doing it. Like, it's just kind of, it's not like you can ignore it. So it's not like it's in the way. It's just kind of like, why is this here? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I think that's my overall take on Cry Machina. You know, some some shining points, some good moments, and some things that really pull it down. It's, a, it's an uneven experience. Uh, it's probably, I gave it a seven. 
So mildly positive. And it's probably one of the more interesting Furuyu games. I have played, I, I was think- I going to all... ask, Adam, is this the best Furuyu game? I actually mentioned in my review, it possibly might be my favorite. It's either this or Alliance Alive, another game I gave a seven. So like, not the highest of praises, you know? Like, it's not like, you know, uh, the oh, Alliance Alive yeah. and this, they're both like, I, I considered them good with caveats. And, you know, it just kind of, it kind of depends on like how, I guess what you're looking for exactly in the game. But yeah. I hope, some, I hope some dedicated person uh, like just like takes that like snippets of your voice that could trust Primachina is my favorite game. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I was looking at different reviews. I saw some places gave it an eight and they were really good high on the characters, but they even still criticized the repetitiveness and whatnot. I saw a couple places gave it like fours and fives because they were just like, this game is super repetitive and boring. And you know, fair. I I would not put it past anyone if they like this this level design is just like this is this is shit. I'm not doing this. Um I just remember like so, the 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 the, uh, the debut or the premiere or whatever the announcement of this game like this is like, weird because I think Nice America like announced it first before the oh, Japanese branch. I don't know did. if it was first. It was just like I or very or very close. I think they were announced <laughs> actually it was something like that I think. I think it was very weird. I was like what, what is going on? <laughs> um but, one second. That's all I remember from the game. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna yeah. pull up the very first news post. Uh, okay, it, like I remember, it was like at, like it was like at night. We got this like, press release at night or something. Yeah, I and I put it. it NIS America, Furu, and Acria have announced Cry Machina, so they kind of just announced it sort of concurrently, um, even though the English release was was later. So, um, yeah. And I know there's been a yeah. couple of times. I know there's been a couple of times when like a, a company like Furu announces this game will be available in English, and it's like, well, they haven't announced who's doing the localization, but it's probably NIS America because who else would it be? <laughs> like Exceed maybe because Exceed's in a few with uh, like Trinity Trigger like, and whatnot. Maybe Spike Shunsoft. I know they still sometimes do. Oh, I guess that's they... right. Yeah. So Crystar was originally Spike Chunsoft. NIS America did the Switch port later. Yeah. And then like Trinity Trigger, which is another Furu game, that was X Seed slash Marvelous. And then Monarch and Cry Machina are NIS America. Um Legend of Legacy and Alliance Alive, those games were both Atlas before Atlas really kind of stopped doing third party localization. And those those remasters from both of those games, both the previous released uh, Alliance Alive and the upcoming Legend Legacy are both NAS America again. So yeah, I guess they're kind of, you know, all over the place. <laughs> a wild west out there, man. Fur you gives are in a uh, hot hot demand. Yeah, I think well, Adam, thank it. you for going into Cry Machina for us. So basically, it sounds like it's your favorite for you game, either that or... It's either Alliance this or Alliance Alive. Game. Both of those games I would consider what? good, not great. But still, you did give it a seven. So some clear drawbacks, and clearly, if the level design's not good, yet the game is very much encouraging you to like, hey, if you want to get the most out of it, you got to repeat levels. Depending mm -hmm. on how much you don't like that, when you were describing it, I don't know if this is the best comparison, and it's been a while since I've played it, and it's not the same sort of game. But I, I always think of like Tales of Bizaria dungeons, where it's just <laughs> like a straight line into a box, into a straight line, into a box, and that's the dungeon. Um, so, and I remember that really soured me on that game. I the way you described it, I think. A good story is nice, but if that gameplay loop is not very interesting, I don't. 
obviously I don't know until I play it, but it feels like that would be a hard shelf to to climb up on yeah, in order to enjoy sure. that game. But at least it's short, so it doesn't overstay its welcome. Mm-hmm. The second game that we have on our list that also got a re- review recently on the site is one that Josh penned, and that is for World of Horror. So, Josh, if I remember right, didn't you like preview this game like several years back in an early access date, but it's kind of been stuck in that state for a long time? Or what, what's the deal behind I think was World of Horror? Yeah, oh, it, I mean, it might have been someone else. Yeah, it might have been. Some, I, I've never. I didn't. I didn't touch this game at all during its early access. It was. It came out in early access, uh, early twenty twenty, on Steam, and it even had like a demo out like on itch like much earlier than that, like around twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. So it's been. It's been in the works for a while, but I didn't. I've never touched this game since we got the first time I did was when we got the review code in for one point Because I was like, gotcha. I want to okay. see this when it comes out in like you know its finished state. Um, but you know, there's there's a game that a lot of people have like kept their eye on in the indie space. Um, this is the the one bit uh, horror game or RPG uh, made by developer Panstas, which and that, that's the developer's pretty much a single developer, single Polish developer uh, named Pavel Kozminski, I believe. And this uh, this has been in the verse for song because he's he's working on this game as like more of like a part time thing because he's a, he's like a full time dentist, I believe. That's so. Kind of yeah, and it's uh, you know just from like you know one glance at this game, it's like oh shit, this game like really sticks out like from the rest. This is pretty much um, it's not like your standard RPG where like it's like one continuous adventure, like you go, you start at a town and you go to the party and then go forth. It's like um more structurally a roguelike RPG where um progress is done through like many uh, runs through it, and um a run constitutes of like you. Uh, pick a character, or you can do a quick play read and re- randomize everything. You pick a character, you pick an old god, uh, and I'll get into that later. And then um, you have to solve these five uh, mystery cases that's like on a bulletin board at your home. And then once you like accept these cases, it kind of starts like the this um, investigation uh, where you can you progress through like this investigation through like the normal way. <laughs> Is you're like at this town hall screen. It's everything's like menu driven. There's like no real time things at all in this game. Um, everything is done through like a menu selection. So that's why the menu can look like kind of intimidating at first glance, but it's pretty easy to understand after like you kind of mess around with it for a few minutes. But you, most cases, usually start at this town. You, everything takes place in this uh, in Shiokawa, Japan. And the premise is like, hey, um, this old eldritch horror god is about to reawaken, and it will reawaken once this uh, thing called the Doom counter uh, or percentage reaches one hundred percent, and you can see that at the top of the screen. So, like any actions that you take, that like kind of waste time, will drive up that Doom counter. And what your main objective is is to fa- solve these five mystery cases. Every time you solve a mystery, uh, you get rewarded a key. You have to use these five keys on a lighthouse, ascend that lighthouse before that doom counter reaches 100%. Also, you would like to stay alive uh, by the time you get there, too, uh, preferably. Um, um, like I said, you, usually when you start an investigation through one of these uh, uh, mysteries, you're like at this town screen where you're, you see like a three by three. Um, uh, selections of like where you can go around the town. You can go to your home to rest. You can go to like um, 
the school to investigate. You can go or visit a shop there. Um, you can go to, like go to the village to investigate, go to the worst to investigate. But well, you'll see that one of these selections will always be circled, um, and then that uh, that means that if you go investigate in this place, uh, it'll drive forward the investigation case. So you can actually take some time to kind of mingle around to kind of get prepped. So for example, if you don't want to proceed right away, you might want to go to the shop to get like you know a basic weapon or maybe get something like a handy item to kind of you know help you out on the way. Um, now, every time can you, you can you explain the items bit a little bit. Yeah, like, yeah. Are, are they just like you mentioned this They're in like, review like, a few times? They like do they access like new like story routes or like things you can do, or is it more like for battle? Um, the items can be both. So, for example, like I, if I get a steak knife, um, and I can use that to like uh, I can use that to equip like a weapon. But all but certain events that happen, randomized events that happen when they investigate something. I might stumble upon a vet that like, hey, there's this like creepy growth on this tree. If you have like a steak knife weapon, you can cut that off and you like maybe you'll uh replenish stamina or reason, which are like kinda of like your two health bars. Or say if you got like um a flashlight, you know, if you equip that onto your uh person, you'll get plus one uh, perception. But also for some events throughout the game you might need a light source and say, hey, you have a flashlight, you can use that as a light source to go like uh, affect the outcome of this event that might be more in your favor. So, like, say uh, you're going down a, a dark staircase and you don't have a light source on you, you'd be you'd have a higher skill check to get through that without tripping. But if you had a light source, you might be able to get through that more safely with a lower skill check, and like the rewards for it might be better. Like you get like um like uh bonus to your like your stamina instead instead of like it lowering or raising doom. You know. Oh, okay. So. So I, some items do have like dual purposes on that and that end. Um, so like, but like, but they're also just like standard consumables, consumables like painkillers, for example. You know, you might, might replenish like some reason or some health, or you might, um, or you might uh, buy like, I'm trying to think, like um, a backpack, and then, you know, that'll give you more, like that'll increase your inventory limit. Um, so it, it's it's yes to both. It, it can be. Um, Items can be both sometimes consumed and sometimes they might be useful for another uh, randomized event that you have yet to like encounter or something like that. So th that's kind of like the like that. A lot of this game is very RNG heavy in terms of like what you what kind of events you see because so many because as this game has been in early access, this game has been filled out with content over time. So like when you investigate the forest. Well, it'll pick from like a random pool of events that happen in the forest that's been you know programmed in the game. Who knows how much? It's a, it's a good chunk, like easily you know seven to eight plus event uh, events that could happen in the forest when you investigate it. You know, and you know some of them might initiate a battle. Some of them might initiate a skill check. Some of them, you know, might affect like other future mysteries that like you uh, uh, embark on in the run. Like you might meet someone. And like they run off, and then they might come back as like an enemy in a future mystery where you have to go investigate the forest, for uh, for instance. So that's kind of like the you, like describing this game without like having played it for yourself is kind of challenging because it's a lot of it is very, it, it's very it's very board game focused. It's like it's very it's like visualizing explaining a board game to someone. Uh, and in this game, like uh, you know, I mentioned in my review, like 
a lot of this game's structure is much like if people have played the Call of Cthulhu tabletop board game, it's very much like that where you solve this um, mysteries and like you have this character sheet and like the the stats and the the stats that they have is very much like you know very reminiscent of what's used in Call of Cthulhu. So you have like like I mentioned earlier, like stamina and reason. You have stats for strength, dexterity, perception, charisma, knowledge, uh, and so forth. Um, and everything that you uh, like weapons, for example, is based off of those stats. It'll tell you right away, like. Hey, the steak, uh, steak knife, it'll tell you at the end, it's like, it's dexterity, it steals off of dexterity. So the higher your dexterity, you know, the more damage that you'll do with it and the higher accuracy you'll have. Um, and that, so that, like, brings me uh, onto, like, what happens in a, like, combat encounter in this game. It, it's, it's all turn-based, um, and it's kind of, it's very versatile. It, it looks kind of clunky at first, but it's very versatile in what you can do. So let's say you go up against, like, this, zombie uh for instance and i'm equipped with a my character has a steak knife um there's like this action bar uh displayed underneath uh like enemies and uh, like you can fill this action bar with actions that you want to do that you intend to do so for example if i have a steak knife but my dexterity stat is low let's say i only have a 60 per chance 60 percent chance to hit and it'll like surface that um stat to you it's like hey what's your likelihood to hit with your uh, attack if you're just only able to if you only did this attack like without any preparation you only have 60 percent chance to hit so what you can do instead is like you can use an attack boost that'll raise that percentage up by 10 percent and you can stack that multiple times or you can spend uh um more action points to uh, to prep an attack and that that'll guarantee that your next action that you do uh will hit so like say you want to do a strong attack because that'll do more damage but you don't. But it only has like maybe a fifty percent chance to hit. You don't want to stack on these attack boosts that might be more inefficient in the in the action cost. You might want to do a whole a whole prep for it instead. So prep then a strong attack to ensure that that strong attack will hit. And then you can also continue to do any uh, more actions if you still have like the action bar available. So if you have enough action, for example, maybe you want to dodge, and then it'll get your character to uh, potentially. Uh, dodge an incoming attack, and I believe that scales off of dex, the likelihood of that. Um, so you can do other things, like, say you have a character that levels up, and you give them a perk that lets them, um, their offensive actions will cost less. Like, some characters have a perk that they can learn when they level up, that says, hey, all, all offensive actions that you do, they'll cost less, uh, less of an action cost to do. So you can do things like, okay, I have, uh, I can now stack like say five light attacks, uh, on this uh, in this one action, but uh, but the the accuracy is still like maybe eighty percent for them. So maybe I want to do like attack boost, light attack because that'll give it ninety percent. Attack boost, attack boost, light attack that means, that makes it a hundred percent, and then attack boost, light attack for another eighty percent or another formation of that. So you can kind of get. Uh, you can vary up exact uh, what kind of actions you want to do as long as you have the cost to do it. So, for example, on that in that same sequence, what if I just want want to dodge instead? So to make sure I get some guaranteed attacks in, but also have my character stanced up so they could potentially dodge the next incoming attack, or maybe instead, or maybe I I choose brace for impact 
but like shield and instead of trying to dodge it i just kind of take the blow but it'll be uh how much damage i receive is decreased so it, it, you kind of have to really think about how you want to approach encounters because some of them can get uh they, they can do a lot of damage and it'll, t- it'll surface you to you at like the top left corner like how much hp an enemy has and how much damage they'll do to you if they were if they were to land an attack on you so like if you might say like minus three reason so the uh an enemy might not do stamina damage to you but they'll uh they'll damage you only with reason but you still but stamina and reason are equally important and what you can do in the middle of battle is you can actually manipulate your stamina and reason uh to recover each other for example there are actions where it's like you can consume two stamina to recover one reason in the middle of combat so if 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 you're running low on reason and you don't have anything an item to like replenish it um you can actually like sacrifice your other hp pool like at, at double the cost to restore your other the 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 primary hp pool that's being being attacked if that makes I kind of like that because clearly yeah. it's a um, a net negative, but in the situation, it might be you are hanging on by a thread by a reason. You have surplus stamina. It might be worth it in a certain situation rather than it always being a win-win. I like it yeah. where it has like yeah. the trade-offs like that. Mm-hmm. And there's also things too, like sub-actions that don't cost stamina at all. Like say, that, say you have like things in your inventory that's just taking up space and you don't really need it right now and you want to get through this fight. You could just have like junk in your inventory. You could actually just like throw items from your inventory at the enemy too to kind of get free damage on them um, if, if you manage to hit them. So, and then the other part of this is like you have offensive actions, defensive actions, supportive actions. Supportive is like prepping an attack, and defensive could be like dodge or defending. Uh, the last one of, the, of these actions is spiritual actions. And, those, and that's primarily used for like incorporeal enemies, like ghosts. Or, or just like otherworldly beings that like don't have like a, a material form that you're up against, and like if you have you have a if you have a melee weapon, you can kind of try to sever their ties to this world um, by like dealing direct damage with the weapon. But if you don't have a weapon on you, if you have like if you have like money on you, like a lot of money on you, you can like throw money at them and that'll do damage. Um, you can also like do a a, a ritual combination of claps and bows. Uh, in your action, and then if you get the correct sequence of claps and bows, it'll instantly kill them. But if you get the get it wrong, it'll tell you, "Hey, you got four moves right in this sequence." Um, so you have to kind of think about, like, okay, which are the moves I did right, and which are uh, which which are the moves I did wrong. And it's kind of like a last resort. Uh, please, oh god, I need this like enemy gone um, uh, for this situation. And you can always. Not all, actually. You do have the option to retreat or escape from combat, but retreating, or, or rather escaping from combat, will raise up your doom counter, so that's your penalty for escaping. But remember how, how I mentioned old gods earlier? An old god mm-hmm. is like an eldritch hoarder that's like kind of placing their curse on you. So an eldritch hoarder might, uh, one old god might be like, you can no longer escape from combat encounters. Another old god will be like resting at your home will drive up the doom counter even more. So usually it's like three percent per rest at your home, but they might drive it up to five or six percent instead, which is significant in the in the grand scheme of things. Especially when sometimes at the end of my runs, I like end at like over ninety percent doom. 
<laughs> you know, so that, that that could be a factor into it. So um, that that's kind of the the challenge in an additional layer of challenge of hey, you have to kind of keep in mind uh, what the old gods curse on you. Uh, uh, which old which old god did you choose for your playthrough? Um, on top of that, when you ever you solve a mystery and you go back to your home, um, there's additional like challenge modifiers that get stacked on top of one another um, after you complete a mystery. So, for example, usually at um, at the end of a mystery uh, investigation, you can go back to your home, you can get into the bath, it'll uh, raise one stamina and one reason, and then you can choose either to recover an additional point of stamina or reason, or get a slight experience boost. Um, so, like, you get five points of experience. Um, a curse that might be placed upon you after completing a mystery might be like you can no longer heal in between um, uh, mysteries because there's contaminated water now. Since the water is contaminated, you can no longer take a bath to uh, get the, the, that minor free heal. And another uh, other curses might be like, oh, something happened in the town. You can no longer visit the shop uh, for this run. So you have to kind of start adapting on the fly the the deeper you go in a run because of like compounding challenges and situa and like situations um that you're confronted with essentially so th things that might be reliable early on might not be accessible later on so you kind of have to start was that was that curse with the water that you mentioned like rng or does it warn you about it if you use it too much i don't understand how, how the curse came to be it, it it is it is an RNG curse that can be placed upon you mm -hmm. after you've because uh, uh, every time you fi you finish a mystery you will get a curse upon you like the old god will uh, add an additional curse but it is completely RNG which curse you get uh, from that uh, after you finish a mystery. Um, gotcha. Yeah, so that like that that's kind of the the ebb and flow of the game. It's uh, it's really really engaging the more you uh, start interacting with it and the more you have to learn about it. like. You have a multitude of different characters. Some are unlocked or they get to get go. Some you have to unlock through um, pretty specific scenarios and circumstances. But they all play differently. So one of the characters I, I mentioned well, obviously is really good at like up close melee combat, um, like with dexterity based weapons. Another character might be better at having her party attack uh, for her. She has a high charisma stat, so. The one of the things you want to do with her from the get go is go to the school and rec start recruiting some characters to go onto your side. And instead of like attacking herself in battle, you have the option of choosing having your characters or allies attack for you instead. And the more that she has, the stronger that she becomes. And she also gets a perk when she levels up, character exclusive perk where all her allied based actions uh, cost less. So obviously, the thing that she that defines her build is um um you know uh, like uh allied based combat um the, i had a really interesting funny run where i i did a quick play and it 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 um it chose her but there was um sometimes when you when you start a run you'll get uh you'll immediately get a a, a really bad like modifier on you so for one of the early ones you might encounter is like, like you know, you have brittle bones, and so like every time you get damage in combat, you might get a, a higher likely chance of getting a, a, an injury status on you, 
that you might want to get treated at the hospital. Um, one of the ones that I, I encountered with this charisma-based, ally-based character was anytime a human a character joins you, they die. Like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> so I had to do some really, really... A really jank, like, dexterity build that she was not good for at all. I still was able to beat the run, but it was not pleasant. So it was really funny because, I like, during that run, I came upon an event where if I uh, I successfully uh, passed the skill check and successfully passing the skill check for that specific event uh, gave me an, uh, an ally. But since that ally was human and they joined me, they immediately died because of that curse. So, like, in the, in the, in the log... It says, oh, this character joins you. And then the next entry is like, this character got run over by a truck. Because of <laughs> So it's like, fuck. So it's like, okay. So sometimes you kind of have to deal with the punches on, on what sort of modifiers you get. And that's kind of the magic of this game where it's like, it's so... It's so addictive the, the more that you play it. And it's so entrancing, too. I didn't even get into, like, you know, just the art style alone. Every, all the artwork in this game was drawn in MS Paint. Um, straight up, and uh, and there's a variety of like color filters, and um, if you want to put it into one bit or two bit mode to, you know, uh, spicing things up on the on like you know on what sort of like visual variety you're seeing. Um, a lot of the art is very high quality, very much inspired by like you know the works of like Juji Ito, for example. Um, it's a lot of like body horror, a lot of like rotting flesh. Um. And it can get, you know, some pretty graphic times. It's not really, like, loud jump scares at you. There's, like, some jump scares, but it's, like, very minor. But it's it's really more about, like, kind of, like, the the dread that you feel as, like, you're, uh, in, in, like, you know, investigating places. Like, the OST is really, really good at, like, kind of giving you that, that instilling you with, like, a sense of dread and fear of, like, what, what are you going to encounter uh, next? So I... You know, it roguelites aren't for for uh, everyone, but I think this is like one of the way better handled ones. I really, you know, I really really recommend uh, this uh, this game for people who like RPGs, especially ones that like like managing a lot of like sy- um, systems in different ways. Like like I said, for example, like managing like your different HP pools different ways, um, being able to like vary up like how you approach combat. Um, so it's not just like a standard, hey, I just beat up on a guy until they die. It's like some some of them might be like, hey, I, uh, I, one of their perks might be like, any item that you throw at the enemy will have increased damage. So a character might be like, oh, okay, I want to uh, build out this character so they have a lot of things in their inventory so I can throw things at the, uh, at like tougher enemies for increased damage. So there's like a, a good variety of ways to engage with combat. And a lot and a lot of like events to uncover because on top of like the standard like randomized events that uh, that's present at each location, like each investigation has multiple endings, and some of those multiple endings are kind of tricky to um, get. Like for example, like one might need you to like solve like a side quest to kind of get you the right uh, to get you a note. Uh, that you that will be relevant uh, later on in that case, where you need to like consider the contents of that note, adjust something to like the right frequency, so you can get like the net, like the the alternative alternative ending to that case on how it plays out. So it's 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 a blast. I, I had a lot of fun with it, and it'll it'll keep you um, entertained for hours. Um, it's 
I, I can't recommend it uh, highly enough. You know, it's awesome. Well, one thing that RPGs in general struggle with sometimes is once you find the most efficient way to do something, and in most RPGs, this is a combat, like whether there's, a, there's an ability or a, or a combo that's overpowered, or there's a certain setup that is just much more efficient than any other. So how do they disincentivize you from just repeating that ad nauseum until you reach credits? So having the little bit of randomness, having the curse mechanic, having the different perks be changed on in that roguelike structure, I think is a good way to kind of combat just trying to be as efficient as possible and having to roll with the punches um, in a game like that. It's yeah. one of those things where you have to have like the right mindset for it. It's sort of similar to what we talked about with Saga games in terms of like the events aren't always going to play out in the most efficient manner. You're not always going to have ab- complete control of everything. You might get a curse that sucks like that one, like, like you said, where the any human character that joins you is immediately going to to die or be cursed. Well, how do you roll with that punch? How do you how do you man, how do you make it forward exactly. in spite yeah. of that? Yeah, uh, a lot of this game is about adapting to your circumstances and like kind of dealing with what like you got you you're dealt a hand. How do you how are you going to use it? Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, get, it gets pretty challenging in that aspect. So yeah, it's it is it is a lot of um, experimentation and a lot of like un, like learning the the systems to kind of play it in your favor as much as possible given the circumstances that you're uh, dealt. And you know, I, I find something really rewarding about that. Like, like I felt really accomplished by like finishing a run with that like charisma-based character using a completely different build that she's not built for because of the curse that she had. Like, I got to the end, I was like, mm-hmm. man, it felt great. Like, I didn't know I was gonna, I had no idea I was gonna like you know um, finish this run. But sure enough, I got to the end of that. And yeah, if you haven't seen the art for World of Horror, just Google World of Horror and just take a look at it. You you obviously mentioned it, but it is very striking, and there's no other game that quite looks like it. And then, of course, for both Cry Machina and World of Horror, Adam and Josh have put up written reviews up on the site, on RPGsite.net, so you can go ahead and check those out. Going into a short discussion on the next game, as we preambled near the start of this podcast, It came out about a month ago, but we earmarked a little bit of time here to talk about Phantom Liberty, which is the DLC slash expansion for Cyberpunk 2077. Now, this came out about a month ago, and Alex Donaldson actually wrote the review up for this uh, for this expansion. He also wrote the review up for the main game uh, and scored it very highly. Uh, He gave it a 10. And at the time when he gave it a 10, I don't think any of us here on the podcast had played it. Um, I had, I think I'd gotten my feet wet on it, but I had barely touched it. And then I had to go away for three weeks. So, uh, in that time I finished the Phantom Liberty expansion. I've actually replayed through the whole game. Uh, Josh, were you able to complete it as well? I wasn't, sure I, 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 I didn't get to complete it fully. Like I, I'm, I don't know how far I, I'm probably still early on. I'm like about to go meet Solomon for the first time. Cause I've been doing a lot of the side activities after like the, like the kind of like the big opening of escorting Myers, uh, yeah. around, so that's where I'm at right now, but I've been pretty impressed already with like kind of the the, the gameplay changes and like the just the structure. Uh, it, it it alters up compared to the main game. Yeah. So I talked about, and I think I think it was the last podcast I was in before I was out. The additions that they made to Cyberpunk 2.0. Um, which released like a week before the actual expansion, and it was of course a free upgrade to anyone who had Cyberpunk. Except I guess it's not on. If you played it on a last-gen console, you can't get 2.0. 
which is unfortunate. And that's kind of like admitting defeat in terms of how that game launched on the last gen consoles. Mm. Uh, and I already kind of spoke to how the perk system was changed and how the new skill system works and how it does help incentivize um, creating a build that synergizes with how you want to play the game rather than having this perk tree that really didn't generate well, mesh well with the, the way that the cyberware worked and the equipment worked. Um, so I'll try not to talk again too much about 2.0. Um, Phantom Liberty, yeah, like you stated, it starts out in like a very linear fashion, probably like two or three hours of very straight line set piece questing, um, almost like a first person shooter. And I don't say that with any judgment, but in the terms of obviously this game is entirely first person, first person cinematics, first person dialogue scenes, cutscenes, kind of being strung along from set piece to set piece to set up what this what the story is about uh and introduce the character to the new region of the map but once you get past that you end up in this new region of dogtown which is part of pacifica which is a area of the base game and from that point forward it's treated kind of like any other part of the city which is kind of an interesting way to kind of frame how the expansion works it it's an area of the city that didn't really feel like it was cordoned off before but you kind of go through some events that allow you to access this new district and then once you're in there you can kind of drop in drop out as you please so in a way it, it's all very organic like yeah. i guess i guess that, like a, um an easy example is like one of the new types of missions you get is delivering cars to one of the fixers and yeah. you know, and, and one of the early ones that I delivered like was was out of Dogtown. So I just kind of organically went to like their shop that was out of Dogtown to deliver this. And then it's like, okay, then I have to go back to Dogtown to go do the rest of the stuff. But like the way you enter it is all very like it's like already part of the world um from yeah. the get-go. And uh, and it does one thing that I wish more games did, that the DLC is not hundred percent self-contained like you will meet characters in this area and then you will have follow-up quests and events where it takes you to places you've already been but maybe were underutilized in the base game or you went there and in, infrequently or you might have gone there frequently one of the main locations in cyberpunk is the afterlife bar of course and some of the events you'll meet characters in dogtown who then if you you know if you're nice to them if you keep them around and they follow up and they want to give you a reward they'll say hey let's chat at the afterlife like, oh, that makes sense. That's organic. It's not all like these people only exist in this new yeah. region. And then if you go to the like, old region, separate universe, you don't see any of the new stuff. Separated from everything else. Yeah. That'd be silly. Yeah. So uh, obviously Alex gave this a 10 and thought very highly of the game when it first released, despite everything. I'll just keep it at that. Um, I, I kind of said this when I introduced it a few weeks ago. Like... Phantom Liberty and Cyberpunk 2.0, in my opinion, is not like a massive overhaul that is going to change anyone's mind. In a way, it has the same strengths as Cyberpunk 2077 did and also the same weaknesses. So if you were someone who played the game and whether you completed it or bounced off it or whatever, and you saw the potential it had, then you probably will like Phantom Liberty or Cyberpunk 2.0, or you wonder, should I reinstall this, etc.? Um, or I had this for previous for, for last gen. Now I have a PS5. Should I get it in order to play this? Um, but if you completely bounced off of Cyberpunk in the first place, this is not something that's going to change your mind. It's kind of like a more fully realized of what the intent of it should have been. And Alex kind of touched on this on his, on his review. Basically, this game should have never lost, should have never launched for last gen, but it did, so you can't, you know, 
you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. In terms of the storytelling of Phantom Liberty, it is a lot of the side quests, a lot of the stuff outside the main story in the base game is very one off. Like when I was re- so I like I stated, I basically instead of reloading a game from 2020, my save file and having all my perks reset and not remembering where I was or et cetera, I basically created a new file, which was kind of nice because it allowed me to interface with the new perk and skill system from you know ground from the ground level. I was able to choose a different life path. In my previous playthrough in 2020, I was a corpo and now I was a street kid. So I got to see how how much that diverges. Um but most of the events in cyberpunk in a way that I don't think is that great is you'll have these fixers in these different areas. You'll go to a, like a node on your map that is called a gig, which is basically when a fixer has a job for you to complete. And then as soon as you just have like you're you're in proximity of a certain building or a certain vehicle or a certain character, a fixer will just call you and be like, yo player, I have a thing that you should do in this area that you happen to be near and then they'll text you like a lot of the background to the event. And there is some cool world building here, like, but it's all kind of partitioned off in like, here's a text message with the details, read it if you want. And then like, okay, sometimes you read it, sometimes you don't, you go in there, you you kind of solve this like micro story. And then it's like, thank you for doing that. Here's some money. And then sometimes those stories are followed up on, but oftentimes they're not. And I'm not saying and, they have and to the, and, the sol- and the solving is like is very much kill everyone in the building and then get yeah and then you get, almost and, always yeah and then sometimes there's like hey or and then like there'll be like the one off like uh, be stealthy about it and then you do that and then, but that's about and then if you are yeah. if you are stealthy they'll give you a little extra money yeah um I will say you had you had asked me this question last time and I ha- I hadn't quite uh, answered it at the time but getting money they call it eddies in the game euro dollars uh, is much more uh, easy now. Oh yeah! Like, by, by, the time, no... by, by, by the time I access the, the DLC, like all my mods on our cyberware on me are legendary. <laughs> and, like I'm a pretty complete character now, and they're not like struggling for money at all. Like everything I'm doing now, like it's not really like I have all the perks that I want. My build is pretty much complete. I'm pretty much unstoppable. I'm like on the on the hardest difficulty, and it's kind of just set in stone now. You know. It's yeah, just, it's just so, going through, it's just it's just going through the motions. It doesn't it doesn't feel like I'm progressing like significantly anywhere because I've I've already done that uh, right. at this point, and I don't know if that's like if that's like an inflation to like both money and like and even like amount of like experience points you get. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure, but I'm just like yeah, there's nothing really much for me anymore. Like even like the the new relic uh, skill tree, I just look through it and like my my build is pretty much uh, like a katana build. That like that focuses on like damage mitigation and just like just slices up people very fast left and right and there's very little relic skill little tree is very strange because yeah, there's nothing much for me for my build in there first of all it's it's a skill tree that you can you can max out and there there is no penalty to it you just have to find so on on most of the other skill trees you have to you get perks either by leveling up or finding perk shards and then you spend these i i I know when you're talking about rpgs sometimes you can get lost in the weeds to say talents or perks or skills or attributes or whatever but in cyberpunk you get the perk points which you then spend in the perk trees which is very you know tried and true well worn and you only have a limited amount of them so even though you have a plentiful amount and by the time you're spending your last couple perks you're kind of really on the fringes of is this actually useful for my build i've already got everything i really need but for the new skill tree in phantom liberty 
it's a different type of perk, which is smart because it's like, okay, this is bespoke and unique to this new region. However, it's something like there are 10 locations in Dogtown that will give you perks. And if you visit all 10, you can max out the skill tree, which I never, in principle, I never really like when you can max out the skill tree because that just means your choices don't matter. Oh, it doesn't matter because I can just get everything. But yeah. on top of that, a lot of the perks in the new perk tree are like, this will only affect mono wire or this will only affect mantis blades. Well, if you're not using yeah. mono wire or mantis blades, then that this is a useless point. I happen to use the gorilla arms sometimes. So sometimes okay. like I got a per- I got a perk for gorilla arms. So basically every five punches or so you build up a charge and then your next punch will knock all the enemies down. So that's useful. That's fun. But it was one perk. And there's like, OK, I have this perk for. Monowire. I don't use monowire. I never intend to use monowire. It's not part of my build. It's not how I'm playing the game. So I will spend this point because I have it, but it's kind of pointless. I kind of yeah. wish the perks were a little bit more general, like movement speed with weapon drawn or how high you jump, like so- something a little bit more generalized. Or, 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 or even something flashy, like like something like oh, like uh, for, for like obviously like first off like oh, like I wish they kind of push you to like uh, spec it to a, like a specific like branch and that given like uh, maybe give a scarcity on those um um perk shards but also i wish it was like something a little bit more flashy to like reward you that uh investing on relic skills like for example like maybe giving you like a flashy like i don't know katana skill of like a maneuver right yeah. of some sorts or like you know or like maybe even if you're doing like a, like a some sort of like gun like gun build you know like uh, infusing like your bullets with like different properties uh, it's, like a, a lot of it is very, I don't know. It feels very situational and kind of borderline meaningless. Like not, none of it like really feels like it's defining a build or like rewarding you for yeah. doing a certain build. It, it kind of feels almost almost like incidental. <laughs> Oddly enough, the only thing we yeah. So that's kind of how Dogtown works as like both the the region of the map and how the how the new perk tree works. It does. I I forget if this was Phantom Liberty or 2.0. I think it was 2.0. The level cap is now 60 instead of 50. So that just means you have more plentiful perks and attributes to go around. So you can max out like three of your attributes and still have your other two pretty damn high. Um, The story of Phantom Liberty is, I guess I kind of started talking about this and then I kind of got lost in the soup. Uh, The one thing I did like about it, how it it treats the the game treats it kind of like another branch of the main quest line so in the main game you have like the quest line that deals with arasaka and takamura then you have the quest line with the aldicados out in the badlands and this kind of treats like another uh, quest line with the new unit new you sorry and usa government and the, the two main characters are solomon reed and so me who goes by the call sign songbird and i talked last time and this is something i still truly believe that cyberpunk for all of its weaknesses one thing that it does do really well and i thought this even back in 2020 is that despite being a studio that prior to this hadn't really made first-person games, it's one of the best first-person cinematic experiences in terms of how they choreograph cutscenes. They they very smartly know when to allow the player to have control versus take control away. Um, and even like simple stuff, like there's one of the one of the very basic interactions that you do in Cyberpunk, both in the base game and of course in the DLC is when you lay down on a ripper dock bed in order to get your implants um, like updated. And the way that it very naturally takes control away from the character as they like get their legs up on the bench and turn turn themselves over and lay back, 
it feels very natural. And I, I try to think of, and this sounds like I'm being disparaging. I don't really mean it to be, but like if someone like Bethesda tried to do it, I feel like you'd like clip through the table and like just, <laughs> just like walk really lean backwards. So one thing that Cyberpunk does really well is that sort of thing. And there's areas where your character gets like staggered and you end up like falling to your knees and then you have to like pick yourself up with your hands and it feels very natural. Or when characters are speaking to you and they kind of like pull back on your character's shoulder and your camera kind of like whips back to face them because the idea is, is that they're like pulling you back to make to kind of like swing your head around it's gonna sound it's gonna sound kind of weird but i'm like one of my favorite animations and like 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 um interactions this game is like when a car runs over you you get hit by a car you fucking you stumble and you're like you're just like on your fucking like uh just staring up at the sky thinking about how you got like you know got hit by a car before like you get back up on your feet and it's like it's very sudden to like if you're looking somewhere else and you're just running the street and all of a sudden boom, you, you you get hit by a car and all of a sudden you like the camera just gets like forcefully pushed back you're just like what the fuck happened it's like oh a car hit me you know and, and there's something about like the, that interaction in this game that like it feels it feels really cool to see from a first person perspective yeah and I know there are <laughs> no. This game is like the one, the most cinematic first-person game I've played, and I'm I have it installed, and I'm hoping to try to get some time into it before next week. I haven't started Starfield, but I'm in, I'm eager to play these games basically back to back to see how that feels. Um, remind me, I think James is the only one here that's played Starfield. Does Starfield have that third-person over-the-camera option that like Skyrim and Fallout have? Uh, uh yes. Uh. Yeah, okay. uh, I will say that the uh, third-person camera stuff in Starfield is pretty decent, I feel like. Gotcha. Because I, I do know, unfortunately, there are people who have the motion sickness that just first-person game, regardless of how well it's done, uh, they they cannot play it without feeling sick. And I do know that there are certain um, allowances in terms of being able to, to modify head bob or sway or guns, you know, things like that to try to to minimize that that's not something i can really speak to because i don't i don't suffer from that so i just like can you play cyberpunk if playing first person games makes you feel ill i don't know unfortunately like there is sometimes like even though like i, I like cyberpunk there is sometimes like i get a little bit sque- uh, queasy a little bit um like, especially yeah. like, when you're, like when you're like hopping over something in that game like like, like even just like the inherent bomb of like going over like an obstacle in that game to kind of like you know if i was feeling not not in my right mind at the moment. I could kind of feel a little bit ill mm-hmm. if I do it too much. Um, so yeah. I I don't know if like if if people who have like something more severe than that, then definitely I don't think you can because you you go because you do that so much in the game too. And there's on top of like other mobility enhancements that you probably want to give yourself like a dash or like, a, a charge jump or a double jump, and being able to get like that more freedom of motion. Like you know you're mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to get around more like in a more mobile fashion. Like that's just like outside of the car of a motorcycle, um, you know that that can get pretty hectic too. Like it's a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of camera movement, inherent camera movement. Uh, that speaking of the car and motorcycle, one of the additions is this car combat stuff. I'll be honest, I didn't interface with it. Um, it feels like to me, I don't know if this maybe I didn't give it its fair shake, like the the, the weaponized vehicles, etc. But to me, like if I ever needed to like defeat enemies while i was in a vehicle there were two things that i did one if you have certain cyberware you can just cyber hack vehicles to self-destruct or just pedal gas pedal so like if i was doing one of those car return missions i would just swing the camera around you pull up the the quick hack you know menu 
tell the tell the car behind me to self-destruct and then that was it or i would jump out of the car and then just use the normal combat and then jump back in the car so i never really fired weapons yeah I, I, I tried to i tried to engage the uh, the car combat for like a total of 30 seconds during one of those car delivery i'm like this feels like shit so now i did your second option my my default uh response to anytime someone is shooting at me in a car and i have to get somewhere i stop the car I get out of my car, murder everyone by katana, get back in the car, get my way. The most like, effective I mean, way cool. to do <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just like real life, obviously. So without going into spoilers of the story, um, the basically, the, the story kind of pits you against these two key characters. And I will say that CD Projekt does a very good job that both of these characters are shown as very flawed. It's very much kind of pros and cons to both options in terms of do you side with Somi, do you side with Solomon, etc. Because both of them are shown to have skeletons in their closets and have selfish things and they lie to you. And do you do you allow that? Do you understand where they're coming from, etc. And not only that, you can't you can side between them, but in a manner where it's like, I'm doing this for your sake, or you or you can be very it's very well done in terms of not signposting it as this is the paragon option this is the renegade renegade option and this is you being a good person or a bad person it's very much like whenever you have a dialogue choice come up in an rpg like this and i'm not sure right away which choice i want to pick in the moment it's frustrating but after the fact i feel pretty good about it because if if it's too obvious then it ceases to become a gameplay mechanic oh i'm role playing as a bad person i will always pick the bad option or a good person i will always pick this option where if they have an option about who do I trust in this moment in time in the middle of this quest, okay, what what sort of character am I playing? What would make more sense for them? What makes more sense to me as the player? So I do enjoy it from that front. And there are, I think there's like four different ways that Phantom Liberty ends and only certain ones allow it to carry over into the main game. Mm, Now, one thing that I think was pretty well covered in most of the reviews and most of the marketing is that Phantom Liberty, if you complete it a certain way or a certain couple of ways, it does add a new ending to the base game. And I'm not going to tell you what the ending is. If you're worried about spoilers, I'm not going to tell you what happens in the ending. I will say, though, that the new ending that they added is not a golden ending. It's not, oh, here's the default de facto best ending or the canon ending. It's just another ending. And I after I, I actually played through it um, last night and Adam was I, I don't know if he was watching, but he had it on in the background. And I was kind of going through my thoughts and processing it as I was playing through it. And then I went to I went to the I did the thing that you shouldn't do. And I went to the Reddit to see uh-huh. <laughs> what people thought oh, of boy. the ending. And I will say I don't want to disparage anyone's opinion. But one thing that did take me by surprise is to what extent people not only hated the new ending, but hated the old endings in terms of saying like comments like, I can't believe CD product gave us another shit ending on top of the already existing shit endings. And I was like, wait, shit, what? Really? Like I, th- that opinion was just surprising for me to read. Now the endings in cyberpunk pretty much, I won't say pretty much all of them are bittersweet in some way. There is no, here's the happy ending. Here's the sad ending. And in a way, the new ending is very much like a monkey's paw where it's good in a new way and very gloomy and dark in a different way. So it's another kind of bittersweet, poignant ending, which I there are there are certain people who don't want that. They want something more 
more positive, more hopeful, more happy. And it doesn't give you that. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. It just, it just doesn't. So to mm. me, I actually really enjoy that. I really like the endings of the base game, especially the Aldicado ending. And then this ending kind of gives a very different flavor. It's kind of the opposite of that, but it's also very, very bittersweet. But to me, I kind of enjoy that. I don't like endings where everything's tied up in a nice, neat bow and everything's happily ever after and all the good guys are alive and all the bad guys are dead. And, you know, and I'm not saying that anyone who dislikes that ending wants the perfect ending. But I guess I was just surprised to see that opinion. And uh, kind of I should mention that I uh, think. Al Alex Donaldson, who also he's our founder and boss, and he also writes for VG247. He agrees with you. He actually wrote up an editorial basically saying Phantom Liberty adds another excellent ending to Cyberpunk. So in, in you know, more nuanced phrasing, but he's basically saying he likes this, this, this style of ending also in that um, I think he would have been disappointed if the new Phantom Liberty ending was like, oh, everything is happy and perfect now. You did everything as optimally as possible or whatever, you know? So he likes the same approach that you do. And then I do like how Cyberpunk is set up where that you go through the ending, which has a very clearly marked point of no return. It actually kind of creates a point of no return save for you. And then once you see the ending and you go through all the, the ending, each ending is about an hour, an hour and a half long past that point of no return. It kicks you back to that point of no return and you can kind of see the other endings as well. It's very gamey in that way. But it is kind of nice to know that, oh, okay, I don't have to like the game kind of is making it convenient for me to see how the other endings are. Um, so that's something like you're playing a video game and you're not just watching a movie, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, so, Phantom Liberty, it's 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 a more better, more better, very high IQ on this podcast coming from me. It's it's a more realized um version of cyberpunk 2077 i love everyone's not performances in it i think i think the voice cast in and oh uh, yeah the voice cast is excellent is awesome i really like uh, uh so like you know i, I really like so so me i really like kiono's new lines in it man I, but but that's just like a like a recurring theme for me i'm like I, i'm really playing cyberpunk at this point uh, at this point like for more kiono lines pretty much i really like johnny i really like when he's when he's being goofy i really uh there was like this side quest in the main game that like had me um really laughing out loud it was like it was like about this um this the like the it, it revolved around this about religious person and like he makes you get into like the car with him that whole side quest line like because like this whole um this firm was like about the film like his like religious ranting about the world you know and the and the way that uh the way that side quest uh ended for me had like Johnny being like bitterly philo philosophical and like just Kyoto's line reads of it were just like were making me die a little inside in a good way. In a good way. It was I, very I know funny. this sounds like drinking the Kool-Aid, but uh I do like how Reeves's performance as Silverhand, it's almost like deliberately understated. That's just, mm -hmm. but like when you first interact with Johnny, he sounds very stilted, but then you kind of like you interact with him in slightly different ways. He kind of opens up to you when you meet him, when you kind of like find his quote unquote burial site later in the game. Um, and it feels really natural. Like eventually you kind of like really, uh, you know, feel kind of strongly for him. At least yeah. I did. And yeah. then and when I, when I replayed through the game, in my first playthrough, I picked a female protagonist. In my second playthrough, I just picked the female protagonist again. Cause Sharon Lay, I think just does an excellent job as 
as as V as the character. I don't even know who voices the main character. Uh, male. I, I I I do have male V on me. I, I don't I gotcha. know, but yeah, I, I, I also I also like male V. Yeah, I, I really like male V's uh, voice. Gotcha. Yeah, I wish I wish he knew yeah. his name off the top of my head. <laughs> but no, no worries. And I, I know I didn't I haven't given him a chance, but basically I, I just picked on a whim female V the first time. She did an amazing job. She does an amazing job in the uh in the in the DLC, so I just picked her again. Uh I think that kind of covers all my main thoughts on on Cyberpunk. So I do think that it's in a much better state now. Uh if if performance issues were well, I guess that's hard to say. Just buy a PS5 and play. You know, you know what I mean. Like it's 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 so unfortunate that it launched in the state that it did, and you can't take that yeah, back. Uh, like I'm just, you know, I, I, like I, I'm just. Look, I'm just glad I held off, and I'm getting a really great time out of it now. Off the go, uh, mm-hmm. from the get go, yep. just in, just waiting for it, and you know, it's, oh, uh, it, it, it's, it, it is it is still buggy. Like near the yeah, no, 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 yeah, for sure. So <laughs> so here's here's the stupidest thing ever. I'm doing one of the endings, and in one of the endings, you enter like a hover a hovercraft, an AV, they call it. And my character just like as soon as I enter this AV, my character just instantly died. And I'm like, what is that? Is that scripted? I reload, I go in, and my character instantly dies again. And I'm like, what? So I, okay, I Google dies with entering AV during this quest, and someone else had the same problem. And then someone's like, I figured out how to avoid it before entering the AV. Open your map, then close it, then go in the AV, and you won't instantly die. Like, that seems arbitrary. Let me try that. And lo and behold, it worked. And I'm like, I don't know why that worked, but just open and close your map before. So, yeah, the game is, it's still true to what it's always been. The funniest bug I got out of it is like, you know, you know, the boxing side quest in it. And you can like, okay, so at the final one against like the the, the fight, the final fight in that thing. Or it takes some time to take down the dude. During that whole fight, there are sometimes where the dude will just randomly T pose during it, and I was <laughs> laughing so hard. I, mean, I was like, "This is so goofy." Oh man! So that was memorable in the, probably a bad way, but I loved it. <laughs> and I, one thing I love Cyberpunk most for is like the inral, uh, individual character moments, and there are some points that just are kind of just they are just. I know people have kind of given CD Projekt genuine and necessary criticism for how they write certain characters. Um, and that's hopefully things that will take to heart, uh, you know, in their future projects with The Witcher 4 and the other projects that they're going forward with. But one part of near the ending that is part of the base game, but I didn't really interface with it much, is one of the major characters who steps aside for the majority of the game, but he's kind of like a long-lost friend, is uh, Victor Vector. The, he's your starting uh, Ripper Doc. And early on in the game, he's watching a boxing match, and you can kind of chat with him about it. And then at the very end of the game, you like right before you make your final choice, you kind of chat with him again about his about this boxing match. And he basically says, oh, this is a recording. I just watch it over and over again because it's something that is just kind of like a ritual of his to watch this recording. And one of the characters, I believe, is named Walsh. And he's like, I always just try to figure out what mistake Walsh made to lose this match. And, and then you kind of say, like, well, what did you come up with? What, 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 are your, what is your conclusion? And he says, well, I guess the only mistake that Walsh made was he went into the ring against a stronger opponent. But is that really a mistake? I'm not so sure. And it's just things like that where it's like, it doesn't does it is it that meaningful to the story of the game? No. Does it even have that like sort of like a is there some sort of theme or some sort of thesis here? I'm not sure, but it's just it's just poignant in a way where these characters are have different beliefs, have different values. Certain people have 
different strengths to like how they interact with the story, how they interact with Night City, who is kind of like a character of its own in this game. Because a lot of the theming of the end of the game is, do you stay, do you leave, or do you belong anymore? And things like that. So in a way, I do think that this game does have those nuggets of well-written moments, characters that you really do adhere to, like we talked about with Johnny Silverhand. Maybe less so with the DLC characters, just because you don't get quite as much time with them. But still, to the extent that they are present in the DLC, you do feel something for them by the end of the by the end of the Phantom Liberty story. So that is something I do think that uh, you don't play this game just for the main story or the or the gameplay or the first person combat. But it does have kind of like those little nuggets of of things that I really found rewarding and glad that I played through. And I, I guess like since you um, um, mentioned it, like uh, Victor Vector's uh, voice, like uh, unfortunately, like. Uh, uh, past, you know, prior to like, oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah, it was um, the voice actor. I'm gonna uh, uh, Milagost uh, Rexek or Milek, um, uh, as his nickname. Uh, he, he, he performed the Polish voiceover for supporting actor Victor, and uh, he died in 2021. And I, I believe, uh, CD Projekt Red uh, used uh, some AI to recreate his voice, but that was like with the permission. Of his family uh, as well, so it's like it's a kind of like straddling like this gray line of like try, try not entirely recasting and using AI technology, but also it's with the consent of like people that knew him. Um, I believe that was the case. So that 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 was you know just something, um, a story that was going around. Uh, oh yeah, the Polish yeah. voice actor Milagost Rezchik. Yeah. So, so just uh, just something to keep in mind that like you know a lot like obviously the AI has been like you know a very hot topic and especially you know one of the uh, one of the factors in the in the recent strike uh, it's an ongoing um, but like it's it's also kind of like this weird territory where like it's still his voice uh, but like recreated but it was also done with the consent of like family members so does that make it okay mm. etc so it's just like kind of kind of something to consider moving forward like as we get you know this will become more and more relevant for better and for worse as time goes on and seeing is there is there a right way or is there a moral way to do this and you know mm. and, and you know, maybe and I, I can totally understand people like you know criticizing tcd project red over this decision even if they had like you know they wanted to do they wanted to do right by it by like you know the fa- like the family members and like getting their consent first and like does that make it okay etc there was an anime that did something like that as well there was a very old voice actor that passed away and then they said that the new replacement is going to be voiced by ai but it has a permission from the from their families mm. and people were already upset about it it's like yeah. oh you should do that you know it's like I don't know. I think it's a hot topic, but if yeah, it, it's it's hard because like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about that. Will in the will that they gave that rights away. I think it's okay. They didn't. If they, didn't I, I don't think anyone's. I don't think anyone's putting that in their will. Like you know, right now, I don't think so. Just yeah. saying, the future. If yeah. they put that in a will, oh. I think that will be okay. If they didn't, you know, put it in. Yeah, that that was their wish, and yeah. I think you have a point. And it's not just voice acting, just, and I'm not, I don't have the education to speak to this, you know, at a super high level of authority, but the, like, you see this with like, you know, we, we live in a entertainment world now where franchises don't die. They persist. 
And so you have, obviously, as through video games or movies or film or shows, certain actors or certain voice talents become synonymous with a character that they represent. And then, you know, if they pass away or they can no longer act on that role, you see, you know, oh, this is a, this, they get an, an AI voice talent or they have like, you know, what Disney's done with Star Wars and like, here's Carrie Fisher in um, Rogue One as a younger version of herself, you know, things like that. And it's like, is that good or is that bad? Well, it's, it's one of those things where that's, that's sort of the things where those lines are going to be drawn over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Um, Cause it's, it's, it almost feels like alien now to just say, Oh, here's the character who's now just going to be recast or replayed as someone else. Cause we have the technology where we don't have to resort to that. But then that's taking away opportunities from new actors, up and comers, things like that. Right. There's a lot of different caveats right. to kind of target there and outside the scope of this podcast. But at least for this target with this voice actor for Cyberpunk, they they got the approval of the family. And that does that does that put the whole discussion to bed? No, but in this particular case, it says, OK, they've done like you said, they've done what they felt they can do in this moment for this case. Before we move on to the news, uh, we did have one other game here that we put up on the podcast last minute for something that Chow was playing. It is, I hope I pronounced this right, Rear Sakai. And this is something that was announced earlier this summer. I remember we talked about it very briefly uh, in one of the June episodes of the podcast. It has some of the talent behind Rune Factory uh, behind this game. It's recently launched in Japan. It hasn't even been... um, it hasn't even been formally announced for any sort of localization. And Chow, you've been playing it. So uh, remind us again, what exactly is Rear Sakai and your time with it so far? Okay, so basically this is this is made by or produced by uh, Yoshifumi Hashimoto. He's kind of like the, the creator of the Rune Factory franchise. But this is developed by Hakama, which is known for Rune Factory 5. Um, they're published by Bushi Road, so they don't have like the marvelous budget, and it kind of shows. <laughs> this game's a little mm-hmm. bit bare bones, in my opinion. Uh, how 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 do I say it? It's I think the best comparison is uh, Silent Hope, and you know that's kind of like more in recent memories of, of a game that everyone played so far. I'm guessing, or is it just Josh? I, I mean, yeah, I th- I think it's only yeah, me okay. effectively, but um. Yeah, this surprised me because I like looking at coverage for this game. I thought it was like kind of just like a, a smaller scope like farm sim, but that doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, there is farm elements to it, but it's so bare bones. You 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 could even treat it; it didn't even exist. It. That's kind of like how how it looked. I mean, yeah, Science Sound Hope like it basically had like a quote unquote farm you can like get ingredients from, but it didn't even do anything. You kind of just like say, "Hey, I want to do this," and then they'll like produce like the crop like later on. It's not really farming sim. You're just kind of feeding into a menu. Yeah, it's like this one. You just pick up seeds in the in the map, and you just put it in the garden. It's like uh, wait a day or two. It's like oh, get the crop. And hey, that's, a, that's more than time of hope. <laughs> it turns into it, it turns into a coin when you pick it up. There you, you go, know, or something like that. Okay, so like so, kind of give me like what what's kind of the uh, is it like you said? There's like some roguelite elements to it, which made it uh, remind you of Silent on Hope, which I kind of surprised me because I didn't. It, it didn't um, look like a road like from so basically saw. in this game you start out with a amnesia character so it's either a boy or girl uh the dialogue it says either boku or watashi at the beginning you know if you pick watashi it plays a girl you pick boku it plays a boy it's like why was it running that's kind of like the intro and they don't know why they're running and then 
character, the protagonist, just decides to make a tent right next to the town. And one day, the protagonist decides to go to the town and meet all the villagers there. So when when the protagonist meets uh, the villagers, they basically, you know, they're really friendly. They all have, like, Japanese names. I think this is kind of... Uh, a hint to something else. So they all have like the first person you meet is this doctor named Hajime, and then as the story goes on, he basically tells you to like, you know, they're short supply of herbs, so he tells you to go. They only they're more frequent in the dungeon, so you, that's kind of like how the game starts off. You go into dungeons, right? Of of um, dungeon exploring, mm-hmm. and okay. every time, okay. So in this game, you do not level up, but the equipment oh. has a level. Like, okay. So every time you clear a dungeon, you pick up like a million items and you sell off what you don't need. You probably equip the highest level equipment. And every weapon has like a like a single ability to it. So... Uh, is, this and, a, is it an action RPG? Yeah, it's an action RPG. Okay. Right? So right. I, I would even say the UI is pretty close to Silent Hope, I would say. Okay, okay. Um, then, you know, when you use a weapon, right, um, there will be like some stars in it, like to tell you how many um, it'll take to awaken it. So if you awaken that weapon, you get like this passive of it. And you can't unlock all the passives in that weapon because you're limited to how many awakened stars you have. So let's just say there's like three different abilities there. It's like light attack up or, or some kind of cooldown like reduction. And they take up two stars and, and that weapon only has three stars. So if you take up all the passives in there, it's like you probably don't have room for the last passive, and that kind of like how the weapon ends up. You know what I'm saying? So, so like, let's say, like, you're saying, like, if a if a weapon has three stars, you mentioned like one star is like light attack up, and two stars is the cooldown reduction. Can't you slot in both of those? Like, because two plus one is three, or yes, I misunderstand. They're, they're usually one more extra. Ability. Oh, okay, yeah. And so the, the third like, one you couldn't slot in. Okay, got yeah. It. So you're like you you can only like pick like half of what's listed. There, got right? it. Okay. Well, that's kind of like the system on the weapons, but like the thing is, like you get new items so fast, you don't even really get to spend the time to to use them. You know, you just kind of sell it and just equip the highest level thing, right? That's usually how the game works, right? Is there and, like a like like what's a variety of types like weapons? Is there like a class system or or, or uh, like you're just getting different weapons? There, there's different no types. class system. There's different weapons, right? Okay. So you get like spears, swords. You know, it's just like the traditional stuff, right? Okay. And um, the item slot can be used for like um, magic abilities too, because how the game goes, like the villagers are probably telling you, it's like, hey, can you do this task for me in the dungeon? So they probably like, you know. The task could be all kinds of different tasks. It's like clear this dungeon with less than level twenty equipment, so you can't use like overpowered equipment to clear the dungeon, you know, okay. or clear the dungeon without taking a hit, you know, stuff like that, right? Well, then, what's the? Are these like optional? Or are these like all mandatory main quests? Or are they just those are optional? Those are optional, right? Okay. But if you get like if you clear the quest, you know, like the villagers will give you like a reward. Maybe they give you a new ability, or maybe you get a token and you could use it to. To give them a gift that they like, you know, and and that will raise their affection, you know, and like you could technically get married in this game, but there's no wedding ceremony, so it feels kind of cheap if you get what I'm saying. Uh-huh. But okay. like, like let's just go in the story like a little bit further. As the character clears like one of the dungeon, it's like um, I forgot to mention before the main character went to a town. The uh, protagonist starts with a mirror, and that mirror doesn't. The protagonist doesn't seem to know what the mirror does. But as you clear, like, a dungeon, the mirror gets, like, a gemstone, and he goes back to, like, real world. And 
And in the real world, the main character has interactions with all these characters that he met in the, or she met, or in the in the village. So Hajime, the doctor that you meet at the beginning, is actually like the main character's homeroom teacher, but they have different names. It's like in the, in the isekai world, you you only get to see their name in like hiragana, but in like the real world, you get to see their real kanji name, or maybe their kanji name is just different. You know, like you know, like a different pronunciation in that oh. same. Same okay. name, and now the main characters are confused, like, oh, it's like, I thought your name was Hajime. It's like, no, this guy's name is uh, Sumeragi or something like that. And, and the main character gets confused, or there's this girl that you met, you know. Uh, can, you, can, you do anything, can you do anything, like, in that, like, in that other world that you wouldn't be able to do in the, uh, like, the main Not world? Not really. I think it's just kind of like, it's just to show you what the main character's life is actually is, right? And okay, so it's more like a, just more like a plot thing, not necessarily something you can like interact thing, with. Yeah. Okay, okay. I don't think it's that, like, certain characters, like, their personality is more exaggerated in, like, in the real life world. Like, there's this girl you met, her name is, like, Risa, uh, but in the real world, her name is, like, Risako or something like that. Yeah. And... She's like more outgoing in the real world, and you know it's like I, I think the real world is just like kind of like not important in my opinion. <laughs> but like at the end of the game, let's just say like you you basically get this option is like do you want the isekai ending or do you want to stay in the real world ending? And I don't I don't get the connection with the real world because you never get to interact with there, so it feels like the, the real life ending is just like. It's just dumb. It's like I think like one of the things is like you get like one of the girls to like max affection rate and they and your character basically says, Let's let's get married. Yeah. And then you know, that's kinda like it in the Isekai world. But if you choose but the, the game doesn't end there. So if you choose to return back into the real world, they're like, Oh, I have feelings for you for some reason. It's like what? <laughs> you know, it feels kinda okay. dumb. Okay. Yeah, that's that that feels a little destroyed. There, there there's something a little like a a little interesting about the concept of like being able to like interact with both worlds in an isekai story because usually in like a uh, usual isekai like modern isekai story you're really, you're really just stuck in the world that you're transported in that you don't rarely ever just like the real world like factor into it right so yeah. like so like but but being able to like design a game around like somewhat equal interactions with both worlds has you know that could be done in a really cool way, but I don't think it has really cracked it yet. I mean, I've seen like certain anime does that, but it came back with Isekai abilities in the real world. And then, I, that would be fun, like in a game, like in a game, you know, if, like yeah, it's, it like, would be fun in a game. But yeah. if you watch an anime form, it's like, man, this is the worst self. Yeah, yeah it, 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 most of it, it like feels dumb uh, for right? sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, there's there's some merit to that idea though that I, that I do find interesting. Like overall, I, like my opinion about this game, I feel like Hakama. I I don't feel like they're the perfect developer to take on the Room Factory franchise or to carry their legacy. In my opinion, they are just they're just not quite there yet. I would say I, I do say this game runs a lot better than Room Factory Five. It, the combat does feel kind of smooth, but it's very budget, in my opinion, for how mm. how the game is structured. So. Okay. Uh, that's my take on it. It's a pretty short rough down because I it's not a very long game. It's about like ten to fifteen hours. There you go, more short games. Yay. <laughs> more yeah, average short games. That's like we, we we like short games around here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're too used to dealing like with eighty to hundred hour RPGs. Uh but okay, that's that's what cool. was the last good short game we had? Colonel Trigger. 
I could beat that in two hours. Oh yeah, that's a lost short game. Holy crap! You know, like thirty years ago, the last good short game. Oh, yeah. Okay, like, okay, wait, okay, maybe, maybe not two hours, but at least uh, four hours. A world of horror of uh, single run run, runs around like maybe an hour at most. So there you go, short game. Oh yeah, a single run. That's how you <laughs> single <say>. run. <laughs> but okay, yeah. I guess you know. Well, I guess we're waiting for an uh, official localization announcement for this and see where it ends up. You, you think you think a, a PC release might improve it somewhat? I, I don't feel like performance is a much bigger issue. Yeah. Okay, it's more like okay. just how the game story is told. And okay, the mechanics in there. It just feels like yeah, uh, it's just just like whatever, right? It's okay. There, like... There, there, there's like there's like three hundred Moon Factory projects in the works. It feels like um, so you know. It's like a very short game, so I it's like I don't feel offended for for what it offers. I mean, it, it was sold as a budget title. It's like yeah. sold for I think like forty dollars retail for US. It, it is it is interesting because there's like it's just the first like Bushy Road published thing that they that 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 came out that from their like slew of titles cooking like they had Mushoku Tensei, the Goblin Slayer, the um, Macross. I think that was Bushy Road as well. Is this the is this the first one from that batch that's came out from Bushy Road? Yeah, I think so because the Goblin Slayer game is next year. That one is coming in English, oddly. Yeah. Um, and then there's a the Macross the reincarnation one. Oh, I forgot about the Macross one. Yeah, yeah. Then Mushoku Tensei. They it'll it'll so, theoretically there's a game that they're gonna show about it one day instead of just like stales of art. Um. Yeah. So. I guess, like I, I you know, Bushiro has been making a, uh, a huge push to get into the console game space because you know Bushiro's mainly specializing in mobile titles, like Bang Dream. I think is Bushiro. We'll see where they go. With that, we'll go ahead and start heading on to the article shoutouts and then the news, which is a little bit shorter this week. I think we're kind of past all the big announcement drops throughout the year, um, so we're just going to be Trying to wrap up as many games as we can before going into the end of the year stuff. Uh, we talked about, of course, World of Horror and Cry Machina. Both of those reviews are up on the site. And then the other review that went up on the site this last week is that we were able to get a copy of Detective Pikachu Returns, which Paige was able to look at. Someone who had played through the previous Detective Pikachu game was able to speak to the surprise sequel. Obviously, not an RPG, but based on an RPG IP. Um, so we went ahead and covered it. Unfortunately, Paige basically really didn't like returns much at all scored it a five we have the review up on the site it sounds like the performance of the game is really quite bad like in per- apparently in purses according according to page like runs worse than the 3ds game at times How's that uh, How's that? apparently just the performance of the game is very very poor um, i mean that was yeah, the case the for the mainline pokemon too so i mean obviously yeah not even the same developer but but maybe she, they maybe she basically it's, it's, it's said staple basically that they're said, trying to get to the Mokhmat franchise. She basically said the game was like, besides like being like not performing well, not doesn't really look good. Like it's not even a good looking game artistically. Um, she also said that um, the game is like really really simple. Like for your six year old, I mean, which is fair, but it's just like that's yeah, the type of game. Either Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically said it's a baby game. Yeah, Yeah, that's what Paige said in her review. She's like, baby game. Yep. Okay. (laughs) 
Which, hey, if you have young kids that really like Pokemon, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they'd know. Like that's you know, obviously, all reviews are taken from the point of view of the person reviewing them. So, not not a good fit for Paige, but maybe a good fit if you have uh, a young child. Gift it to your kids uh, so they can understand what the hell divorce is. <laughs> there, there you go. Maybe this will this will be a good way to say okay. This is a game that this will be the game to show you what frame rate problems and shitty performance in games <laughs> looks like. Yeah, you gotta train them young, you know. You gotta. So one of Paige's lines in her review is like, "It can get silly, like mac and cheese divorce." So I don't, I don't know what mac and cheese has to do with this. Do with this, but there, sure. there, there, there is literally a video that's been going around where Detective Pikachu takes a bite of mac and cheese and then literally, basically trips off his mind and remembers how he got a divorce. What? <laughs> that sounds depressing. Totally. That, that, that's that is not a joke. That is that not is, a joke. That is crazy. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm never eating mac and cheese ever again. That I sounds eat terrifying. That all the time in like three in the morning. <laughs> I'm imagining like that scene at the end of Ratatouille. Only instead of being reminded of like your parents cooking, it's all oh, right. My my terrible divorce. <laughs> this mac and cheese. <laughs> The memories are flooding back. (laughs) All right. I'm sort of interested in this game now more than I was going in. But anyways, Pages Review is up on the site. It sounds like we're playing this game for a very depressing reason, though. (laughs) There you go. Well, I might just take a page out of Chow's book and just YouTube that one. We have a couple other features up on the site. Uh, Paige also was able to put up a preview for one of the things she was able to check out at PAX Australia. For a game called Dark Web Streamer, I'll be honest, I don't know much about this. It looks like it has like a similar sort of art style and you know monotone that World of Horror had, though I assume it's a very different sort of game. And you've been covering a lot of the previews that Paige has been doing over PAX Australia over the last few weeks, I presume. We also have a interview that Josh was able to put up for a game that we talked about on the podcast maybe two or three months ago, Reverse 1999. Where, if I remember right, Josh, time starts going backwards as soon as like the Y two K, you know, year takeover was supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, so yeah, we got to interview um, the developers, uh, developer Blue Poach, about it. Uh, the, the, mainly, like a, a lot of it, like, I was really interested in like their decision to launch it. Um, they, uh, earlier this year, like around like the end of May, and um, that that came in full English voiceover, so Chinese script, but had English voices in it um, mm-hmm. and like talking about like their decision to do that and, and how, how the reception from Chinese players were like, did they see like, you know, a lot of people yeah, over in China, like use their English voiceover and they're like, yeah, you know, a lot of people enjoy it. Even like made fan art, like, you know, the, with, with like the English, like phrases that they used in it. Um, so it was like, you know, like kind of like a nice, like um, interview about like the kind of like the development process that they, they, they employed for it and all. Uh, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I wonder if the developer is pronounced Blue Epoch. I'm not sure. I don't know. Though. I don't know. If it's Blue Poach or Blue Epoch. I have no idea. We got another uh, op-ed from Paul Screlly. He put up a feature about Grandia Two being his favorite Grandia game. And Adam, I know you read and edited this one, and you were kind of like, I don't agree, but that's not the point of an editor. Well, what was Paul's thesis of his Grandia 2 feature? Um, he, he was replaying it, and, okay. like, the one line that comes to mind of his... Actually, let me just pull it up to actually get the actual line here. 
his kind of his thesis was like coming at it from like a nostalgia angle. Um, there are like moments in the game that are kind of corny or kind of like very two thousands that some like a kid today might find you know cringy or whatever. Um, the one line that he likes is or that I like from his uh, article here about Grandia Two. The story is pure RPG, leaning into tropes so hard it practically falls over. So, like, he talked about some of the tropes of the games, like the character of Ryudo. He was sort of, you know, unique at the time, but he wonders how that would come across today. Ryudo being very sarcastic, um, mm -hmm. kind of very flippant, you know, not very heroic. I mean, he becomes more heroic by the end. But really, there's this kind of this 2000s era cheesiness to it that... Um, Paul is kind of criticizing and embracing at the same time. So that was kind of that, that's the title of his article calling it 2000s pop perfection. <laughs> so mm -hmm. And he also he also yeah, mentioned that. things like how it had like a really good English voice cast at the time, like before um, you know, voice actors had highly public personas on Twitter or whatnot, including like Cam Clark, who at the time was kind of well-known for like his portrayal of Leonardo from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It has Jennifer Hale, who is, you know, still very active and is now very popular, but she's in the game as Elena uh, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's just kind of a look back at Grandia 2. My, my question is, I remember this game had like different English publishers all the time. I remember I beat in the PS2 version of Grandia. Do they have like exactly the same yeah the different like there was um game arts published it enix ubisoft in europe i think so and then, and then the more recent release is gung-ho yeah on switch yeah and i assume pc as well so yeah we have that opinion piece and kind of look back at grandia 2 up on the site and that covers it, I believe, for reviews and features. So over into news. The first bit of news that I have here is that the developer behind a game that we talked about very briefly when it was announced, the Lamplighters League. So the Lamplighters League just released in the last like few weeks, apparently to pretty dismal sales and dismal reception. So much so that publisher Paradox, I don't have the economic background to talk about this, but they're like writing it off. They're basically saying... They're cutting their losses and saying we're not going to make money on this game, Lamplighters League. So it's, we're a, it's been less than a month since it came out. It came out October third. So I mean, it yeah. was a very fast. Just like nope, for, for, it was not doing well. I'm not a, I'm not a legal then, expert, but writing something like a property off, it basically gives them like a tax um, break. Like not a break's not the right word. Almost like a relief for the costs of the developing the game. But they basically have to acknowledge to the government. We are not making money off of this game. Like we will never make money off this game. So they're writing it off, and they won't be able to do anything with it going forward. I, I don't know how. I don't know all the legalities, but it's something along those lines where they basically realize this is kind of the fail-safe option. If we're not going to have any success, this is the only thing we can do. So did they do something like that with Warner Brothers with a Batgirl movie or something? That that's so the same idea where <laughs> Warner Brothers basically thought we will actually have less expenses you know, better finances if we write off this movie and never release it than if we incur all the costs that, in, that would be involved in actually releasing that movie, even if it would allow us to get revenue off of it. So that, it's the same idea where they're just writing that it off. Sounds, sounds very fucked up. Don't even need it. it all has to do with like tax burdens or whatever. 
Yeah. So, so it's and not the, the developer good. behind that game, Hairbrain Schemes, is basically going back to being independent. So Paradox, the publisher, and Hairbrain Schemes are splitting ways after the release of Lamplighter's League. This feels especially painful because, you know, from what you heard, like, uh, like a good chunk of Hairbrain Schemes is like uh, employees got laid off. Um, no, prior to this decision, so yeah, the rumor is eighty percent. So yeah, so not not just the that's like a huge majority. Like yeah, has even left. That's so. all. Uh, you know, they, they split ways, and also they have way less people um, after the split. Uh, so it uh it it, it kind of really sucks because I know a lot of people who really really have fond memories of like BattleTech. Um, and also, you know, they are also uh, the ones behind Shadow Run Returns and part of the Shadow Run trilogy. So they they were they had you know some pretty good stuff. Um, and unfortunately, the Lamplighters League, you know, it, it looks exceptionally cool. But I think there's like just on top of you know of it being buggy and like having performance issues. I think I, like the the biggest thing is like I feel like not a, a lot of people did not know that this game existed <laughs> before it came out. Um, I think the marketing for this game was like virtually non-existent. I, even even a lot of people who follow Hairbrain schemes were not aware that Lamplighters League. I was um, looking at was the press releases we got. It. There was an announcement that was made when it was like a press release, you know, kind of marketing, if you will, when it was announced. And then, like earlier this summer, they had a, another press release a trailer when it had like a release date, and that was pretty much it. Like this game is coming, and then it's coming on this day. That's it. Like two. Yeah, that's that, that's it, crazy. Like two updates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's very easy to just like miss, you know, right. and not pay attention to. Like, mm-hmm. it, like I said, for all for all the for all the jabbing that we do for things like Lords of the Fallen, Persona Five Tactica, even Persona Three Reload. Like, even though they they are kind of a little obnoxious at how many trailers and press releases and info dumps that they give, in the long run, you know, that's pretty good. More is pretty much better when it comes to like marketing these. Uh, yeah. games to let the wider public know that hey they're coming out these things are exist we want you to like uh, at least like you know like be informed that they that they're still coming i don't have any hard data but i heard from a friend of a friend that apparently lords of the fallen has significantly outpaced expectations so like it seems like it succeeded in you know at least capturing an audience i know there's been some criticism about like the state of the pc port or maybe the game isn't excellent but it's just good but it's, it's in terms of like people knowing it exists and having some sales it's yeah. been successful yeah. so i think it like peaked at like uh 43,000 concurrent players on steam which is oh. really good for like one thing to put in perspective words of the fall and, and i'm sure it's like already been profitable hexworks the studio that made the game wasn't founded until early 2020. This is a game that was basically developed almost entirely during COVID. And it's like, it's a huge game, but it's like, I don't know how big the studio is. I don't think they're triple A. They're probably like double A, but three years of development, like full development with, I guess like a couple hundred people on staff. It's like, yeah, it, it's probably not going to take too, too much for it to become profitable. And it's not like CI Games, their publisher, is like a huge publisher either, you know? So they do yeah, the Sniper so. they do the sniper franchise. Snipe, is it called Sniper Ghosts? Something like that? Sniper Elite. That's, sniper Elite, yeah. And 
that's pretty much what they're known for. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it just you know, that's the power. Of, that's the power of modern marketing. You kind of have to really just plaster it everywhere. That's the seems to be the play. That's the, that's why you have huge, huge, huge budgets on marketing. Um, which, like, and in some cases, usually, usually the 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 common case for bigger, like, you know, bigger titles is like the marketing budget is usually over, like encapsulates the development budget by a, a considerable margin. And we joke but, yeah. about like how, you know, Atlas and Sega, well, the way they partner with Xbox in strange ways, but it gets things to the top of the newsletter. Yes, it does. The, the six hour trailer exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, and then they have like the, the second follow up. It's like, and here's the one, here's the one that has all the platforms listed. It's like, okay. <laughs> yes. So late last night, I saw certain people in our Discord who follow Final Fantasy XIV looking at the upcoming Final Fantasy XIV Dawn Trail. I will have to hand this off over to Likely Chow or James because I I knew, I knew about the announcement of the Dawn Trail, but this is for the 6.5 release preceding Dawn Trail. I, I kind of saw things about Viper class, about uh, new tanks potentially. Uh, can you just tee us up? This is hot off the press. What was announced or talked about? last night regarding Final Fantasy XIV's newest expansion? I'll yeah, hand, so, hand it off to James. Yeah, so basically, uh, FanFest Europe uh, just started uh, last night, or I guess technically this morning, uh, for uh, people in the U.S. Uh, so they just gave a few updates on uh, some stuff they'd previously announced for the expansion, like back at the end of July. Uh, so we we now know for sure one of the new classes that's going to be added to the game. Well, technically two. Uh, one, the new uh, melee uh, DPS is uh, a, a new class, like unique to 14, called uh, Viper, which uh, has a set of dual blades it can use that can co- combine into a like greatsword type thing. So that's neat. They released a uh, bit of footage with uh, some like like uh, skill animations for the job and whatnot. They gave some more details about what's coming in Dawn Trail outside of that. They showcased some uh, new areas. Uh, they also showed some new uh, concept uh, like uh, art and whatnot. Uh, they also announced that the Alliance Raid series for Dawn Trail is going to be another collaboration one after... Uh, uh, and Walker was not a collaboration uh, alliance raid. It was all like 14 exclusive stuff, uh, but interesting. And um, something that maybe you'll be interested in, Brian, is that the alliance raid in Dawn Trail is going to be a collaboration with Final Fantasy 11. <laughs> oh, neat. Yeah. So I, I um, thought I saw I thought I saw collaboration with final fantasy 16 or is that a separate collab that's a separate thing yeah that's going to be a collaboration that releases before dawn trail it's going to be like an endwalker one like during that sort of uh okay and content yeah and lull and content along with uh the previously announced uh fall guys collaboration which Mm -hmm. is going to add in some new uh content to the gold saucer which makes sense because (laughs) like the gold saucer was already kind of like similar enough to what fall guys does so it's like it perfect sense um you can get a fall guy as a minion <laughs> oh hell yeah there you go but i did i did see some jokey images you know that there was already a meme image of 
Barack Obama like giving a medal to himself. Only the head was replaced with Yoshida giving the yeah. uh, collab to himself <laughs> at Final Fantasy fourteen and sixteen. Yeah, yeah. It's like, wow, how can you make this happen, Yoshida? And this seems to be really difficult. I don't know, Yoshida. <laughs> you tell me. Can you make this work? Yeah. Uh, it was also uh, kind of unrelated, but uh, the like father of Final Fantasy, uh, Sakaguchi, was uh, at FanFest, still is, I think. And uh, Avid Final I, Fantasy fourteen player, Sakaguchi. Yeah, yeah. He, he confirmed that the main reason why he doesn't want to, uh, like, even though, like, the offer has been on the table, he doesn't want to, like, help like collaborate with 14 specifically because he is so addicted. He doesn't want to peek behind the curtain. (laughs) Uh, I get that. He's just like, uh, he, he also, yeah, he also, uh, confirmed that Sakaguchi has cleared the latest ultimate raid in final fantasy 14. (laughs) Yeah. He's yeah. Well, funnily enough, (laughs) the the, uh, ultimate raid is called top (laughs) the Omega protocol. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so, jeez. So Sakaguchi is a better FF14 player than, than both of almost us. everyone. Yeah. Oh no, no, no! I would say that he is the peak FF14 player because he does everything. He 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 even has his own brand of uh, crafted goods called called Sakaguchi. Yeah, with two C's. Hi, go for it because they see it. it's like oh, it's it has a signature. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Fun times. Not not too much new information, just like reiterating stuff that we already knew and like clarifying stuff. How are you guys feeling on this new melee DPS? Dual wield focused. Yeah, it's it, neat. Yeah, from it's an outsider neat. perspective, it sounds like that's the biggest news is that you it, know what the new class is yeah, or one of them. It's neat. I like the idea. I, I do like the the uh, concept of the I, I always like um in any sort of media where it's like you have the two like smaller swords combined to make a bigger sword. I love mm-hmm. that shit. So I, I'm I'm all here for it. I don't and I saw yeah. and I saw that the big comparison was uh Zidane. Yeah. What like the way he when he trances what is it? He when he trances he puts his two swords together to make the dual blade. I'm trying to remember. I haven't played Pompous yeah. I think, I think so. I, I think I yeah I think he does waiting for that sense. remake. It'll be any yeah. day now. Surely it's going to happen. <laughs> we don't know it. We don't know anything. You but... the, there's like two sets of weapons you could equip from. You could equip knives or you could equip the the one where they're like a giant spear where they're combined. So it's just like So that. it's not related to trance at all, it's just what you have equipped. Yes. Okay. Chow would know, so I trust you. Well cool. Um do we and do we know when Don Trail's releasing or is just just the something uh fall next um well I think it's summer next year. Yes, yeah, summer next year. Probably late summer. So it would probably be around like July or August. Cause that's normally when uh, expansions released before like COVID hit and things got like kind of uh, derailed. Yeah. Well, cool. Thank you for being able to speak to an actual like level on what was shown off in that, in that. Cause all I saw was in the Discord, Tony was just saying like, here, here's the stream, here's the new information, and then like memes that I, that flew over my head and other stuff, and I saw some of the things like with Yoshida and Zidane, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, I need someone to pair this out for me, so thank you guys for actually detailing what was shown and why it's important. We got a couple new, uh, as far as I can tell from the last few weeks, we are deep in the marketing cycle for both Persona 5 Tactica coming out next month and Persona 5 Reload coming out early next year. So both of those releases got um, just kind of new updates for them. Is there anything, Adam, for these two things that are really specific to talk about for these games? Or are we kind of in the weeds at this point? 
So the Persona 3 Reload, it was kind of, both of these updates are kind of like, how do I put this? Both of these updates are kind of both combined updates. So Persona 3 Reload, they introduced a bunch of these social links. And probably the most interesting thing there is just like the new portrait styles for all the different um, classmate characters. So you have like the, you have like the, in Persona 3, the uh, class president character, I forget his name. And then you have like the class, the student council secretary, uh, Chihiro, you have the foreign exchange student, you have the, like the, the athlete student and all those other like, you know, social link characters. So they all have new, um, non-party member arts. social link. Sorry? Non-party member social links. Yeah. Arts. So like they all have new portraits. So it's kind of nice to see like, oh, here's how they look like now. Um, mm -hmm. then there was a trailer that was just like a quick, like 90 seconds or whatever of like the English voice actors basically just saying like how much they like the game and what it means to be acting in this game. Um, sort of interesting is that they had uh, the original voice of the original English voice of Yukari there, Michelle Ruff, um, also. So, so I think they're trying to basically say like, this isn't like we are replacing them. It's just, you know, new generation for the new game. I guess. Like well, what was it where one of the character, one of the characters or voice actors was reprising one of their roles, but not the uh, other? Tara uh, Platt is still uh, Catherine. Uh, oh, Elizabeth, gotcha. Elizabeth? Or Elizabeth. Wait, which which one is it? I get the name. Uh, I get the, Elizabeth, I get, Elizabeth. I get Catherine Elizabeth. Their names mixed up. Yeah. You know what I meant. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and then uh, for Persona 5 okay. Tactica, they have a, a new trailer um, that's basically just cutscenes and combat it's a tactical rpg it's got the chibi style trailers only in japanese for now i'm assuming they'll do an english one maybe this week they're usually a little delayed on those um and then just like here's there are quests that are like challenges it's a tactical rpg so these aren't too surprising where it's like doing something like like approaching a level in a certain way i think like killing enemies in a single turn or moving an item to from one map side of the map to the other those sorts of things so yeah those are the updates marketing cool. marketing Good job, Atlas. Sega. Also, I'm pretty sure both these trailers end with Xbox logos. Because <laughs> these games okay. are Xbox exclusive, uh, right? Right? So I think... You can't say that. One of our listeners might actually believe you, okay? <laughs> that these, are, um, oh, oh, oh. these are available on other platforms. They're not Xbox exclusives. Yeah. We are joking when we say that. We are aware. <laughs> Doesn't mean we don't get other things wrong. Please correct us if we're wrong. Let us know how wrong we are. I want to get comments for corrections. We never get comments on what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess speaking of Atlas Sega, I'll just go ahead and uh, skip one news post here. This is a small one. Uh, obviously, also coming out next month is the side story in the Yakuza slash Like a Dragon franchise, Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name. Uh, it was pointed out by the English voice actor for Kiryu, Yang Ye, Yang Yi, that the English dub for The Man Who Raised His Name will be a post-launch addition to the game. So it will not come on November 9th with the rest of the game, which we don't know how long this has been in the fine print. It says supported languages, Japanese, English at a post-launch. Yang Ye pointed it out. We don't know how long it's been there. It's like, oh, because we weren't really expecting that. So it seems like a surprise. Ever since like Judgment, Lost Judgment, Yakuza 8, sorry, 7, the English has been day and date. But in this case, it's not. Um, speculation as to why that is, I'm not sure. Maybe they just did the voiceover at the same time as they did Infinite Wealth 
and they just weren't ready yet. Like, yeah, maybe they just aren't ready I'm yet. I'm trying to remember. Wasn't like 13 Sentinel had the same kind of issue? I think so. Yeah, I, I think they just so. Catching the English voice just like a week later or something. That's not, it's not it's you. Like, just like it's one know. of those things where if it comes in two, three, four weeks later, and then and then no one will care, you know, because then it'll be just part of the game. But yeah, uh, I mean, I I did not jump onto the series with the English voices, even though I've heard they've done a really good job, especially um, Ichiban's. But since this is not an Ichiban focused game, I will probably just play this in Japanese. I'll just uh, for those who but for those who have jumped on, yeah, uh, yeah, I feel for the people series with the English voice. Yeah, it's you know not coming on November 9th. So good, good on the voice actor to point it out. Oh yeah, we did get a game announcement this week. This is from an Armenian studio called Mighty Boy Studio, an action RPG called Babylon X. I'm assuming it's X. It could be Babylon Cross. I assume it's X. If it's not Japanese, it's not (laughs) There you go. So this is an action RPG set in like an alternative history ancient world. And this is basically an introductory, mostly cinematic trailer. when When Adam was describing this to me as I was watching it, the first word that he described it to me was uncanny. And that's kind of how I feel about it. It almost looks like like a 90s action movie that's just dabbling in what CG should look like. You know what it reminds me of? What does it remind you of? Forspoken. A little bit. It has a lot. (laughs) Pretty much the entire trailer. It's a decently long trailer for an intro um, trailer, announcement trailer. But anything that isn't... (laughs) No, no. I mean, aesthetically, there's some aesthetic looks like the the cloak Mm. and running around in the desert. Reminds you of yeah. So any anything that isn't a cinematic or like a cutscene, anything that resembles gameplay is characters running. Mm-hmm. Or I guess there's a little bit of there's there's one that's on like a hover bike, but it's a lot of it's a lot of characters running, and it has a very distinct look to it that looks very uncanny. It's like Halo Four era mocap. Is kind of what it reminds me of, and it's it's not bad. It just it just looks kind of different. But yeah, it's a um, they talk a little bit about what their premise for the game is, but it's kind of very high level at this point. No release date, no consoles, no no real specifics other than the announcement itself. Yeah, I have no uh, idea how big Mighty Boy Studio is, but it looks like it's kind of a passion project from a smaller developer. Uh, I, 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 like I said, the, the most important part will be just like, give me a HUD, give me what it looks like. It looks like to just like play the game. Give me those like mm-hmm. game raw gameplay footage. And then I I can forgive shitty cinematics and awkward looking some cinematics if the gameplay is fun. Yeah, it's just and there we'll we'll encounter this a little bit with the uh, we have a we had a trailer very different sort of game but we had a, a trailer for another upcoming RPG from Owlcat Rogue Trader where they say so the reason why I'm bringing up both of these is that in this press release for this announcement for Babylon X they're like. Set in a beautifully crafted universe, it'll contain a robust action combat system with tactical elements, unique magic casting, dynamic semi-open world puzzles, and intelligent NPCs. It's just kind of like, yep, we're trying to check all the boxes, but you can't really... We can report it and say that's what they said, but it's hard to really judge or really comment anything with any kind of insight based on just what they said in the press release and what they've shown in the trailer. Like, all right, that seems promising. 
We'll keep our eye on the, 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 the funniest thing about the press release is like, hey, they're they're kind of establishing the premise of like, hey, there's like technological advances between Babylon and Egypt. If uh, you know, they gave a character the name Samson, former prophet, now runaway slave and avenger, and then uh, mm-hmm. like a, a young moon cult priestess. Then they band together for that yada, and it's like during the journey, the, they'll get to know themselves, finding new person, and maybe even fall in love. It's like okay, there's a love story in, in here too. <laughs> so it's like okay, there's, there's not really any mystery behind like you know that. So it's funny when press releases do that. It's like okay, <laughs> these two probably hook up in the end, if not during. There you it. go. I'm Crazy. For a good romance story. Okay. Well, there Don't you go. So yeah. So, so that no release date coming for PC and consoles. Um, and then be- because I teed it up, we did get a new trailer from Rogue Trader, which is coming out next month uh, from Alcat. They did the Pathfinder games, and they've been doing very they've been doing very well scoped trailers. We're like, this trailer is only on factions. This trailer is only on combat. And then this trailer is about story consequences, but that's very hard to show in a in a two-minute trailer about how the consequences will shape your world. I can say that in the Pathfinder games, these the, the Alcat has done a good job making choices matter. Like in Wrath of the Righteous, one of the things that you pick is a mythic path, which is basically like how you what sort of divine or related power is bestowed upon your character at higher levels, and it does like out affect kind of the ending scope of the story in that game. And then even beyond that, just decisions you make do play dividends past the game's various chapters. So basically, Owlcat has a pedigree of saying, yeah, when they're showing it off in a trailer or in a press release saying, promise us our game will have choice and consequence, they do have a little bit of substantiation behind that because they've they've delivered that in the past. One thing that they do do in this trailer is that they have kind of a neat sort of graphic that tries to, to try to illustrate what they mean by this where they show like a branching path that kind of encircles like the wedges of a clock. It's you'll have to watch the trailer in order for me to like paint the visual picture for you here. But trying to say like things will come to a head as you meet this important character partway through the story. And then this this basically this conversation with this inquisitor can have many different outcomes depending on what you do before and during that event. And that'll kind of set you off in very specific paths. So uh, can it be eager to see how this actually manifests in game? But and one thing that Chow has kind of pointed out, Chow who writes guides from Neoseeker, is that both of the Pathfinder games, correct me if I'm wrong, Chow, usually have been pretty high traffickers on that site because they have a lot of aspect in terms of what choice should I make here? What What's the pros and cons between going this route or this route? So I'm guessing that Rogue Trader will be in a very similar space. That's all I would assume. Because what mm-hmm. I know is that there's people like if they talk about Pathfinder and they need strategies, they'll use the Neo Seeker thing, and they'll use that to compare everything. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I I wonder if like that that like like almost like consequence compass I'm gonna call it uh, in this go. trailer um, is gonna be like actually uh, like uh, a graphic that you'll encounter in the game. Um, whether it's like at the it end, or, or like if it's something that like that will like so, sort of like lightly guide you, because uh, it it is an interesting graphic and it reminds me of like almost like a the typical circle puzzle in a game that uh, that you encounter where you have like align like symbols in that circle. <laughs> it kind of looks like that, so uh, it it would be it would be a nice thing to kind of if you're trying to game for like different endings 
that'd be a handy thing to just keep have on hand as an in-game sort of guide. Um, now, unfortunately, I, I, I think a lot of people are coming to this game. I, I, I'm biased, but I, I'm coming into this game knowing nothing about Warhammer at all. But I'm like, well, I like the previous games, and Owlcat did also introduce me to Pathfinder, so why not Warhammer? This will be my Warhammer gateway. And I just kind of make the assumption inherently that this will be a lot of people's Warhammer gateway. But maybe there's maybe there's also a faction of people that I don't know that are Warhammer stands, and then this they're really excited for a you know a high budget RPG built in their universe. But on this choice compass, there's like these three icons that I presume relate to like either factions or beliefs within the game. But I don't know what they like. I I am a novice. I do not know what these icons are. There's one that's like the praying hands. There's one that's like arrows on a dial, and there's one that I think is like a skull. The symbolized by yellow, blue, and red. I don't know what they mean, but I'm eager to learn. They also kind of show it in the trailer. Go ahead. The one that threw the models, the one that paints those little little figurines for for Warhammer, or am I thinking of the wrong thing? No, that's Warhammer. But that's Warhammer. That's the table. That's the tabletop game. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of Warhammer fans. You have like the the, Mm -hmm. there's normal Warhammer, not even 40k. You have the 40k fans. You have fans only the tabletop. You have fans of only the game. It's, it's like a whole universe that's like, there are definitely a lot of Warhammer fans out there. I don't know how many of them are like coming into this, you know, eager. I have no idea. But I know there there, there is a lot, a, hundreds of thousands of Warhammer fans, probably well, more. I, I'll wait for that movie with Henry Cavill and let, let him do the talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, once again, the the the, the leading concern is here is like uh, hopefully it launches in a stable state. Yeah, that's one thing. Yeah, I said uh, Alcat has a has a history of releasing a certain sort of game, and that includes games that require a lot of rapid hot fixes. And I, Adam was actually saying like, so this game's coming out kind of at a strange time, early December, so right when a lot of us are going to go on like break. Uh, and Adam's like, well, if you just you know if you wait. You know, we're not going to push to get a review of this out by release or by embargo in December. It's okay if it comes out in early next year. And based on the precedent of the studio, that might be a good thing because chances are it's going to come out hot because that's what they've done. I wonder if they're kind of begging on that too. (laughs) I wonder if there's certain aspects like they're kind of begging on people like, you know, being on holiday. Like, all right, this can wait for a bit. Yeah. And that's, I review, it's kind of strange because I reviewed both. Kingmaker and um, Wrath of the Righteous pretty poorly, five and six, I believe, even though now I I'm feel more strongly on those games now than I did back then. But that's just because I have to account for the fact that like when Kingmaker released, I couldn't even finish the game. I was bugged out of progression. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, that's that's you get a you get a five because I can't finish your game because it's so damn buggy. Uh, so obviously. I hope for the best. Hopefully they have determined kind of the internal planning that's needed in order to mitigate that to the best extent possible. And hopefully we are shooting hot air and it'll release and be just fine. We'll see. But coming out in about a month and a half in early December. I am really excited for it. I don't want that to be to be hidden. This is this is one of the games where I will. Yeah, I'm going to try to play as much of it as I can before I like travel for the holidays. Because um, even though it's releasing on consoles, I'll probably play it on PC, but I don't want to play this sort of game on my Steam Deck. I want to play it on my home PC, so I want to play it you know, while I have access to it. So I'll probably jump on this right away, and for better or for worse. For better or for worse. 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 <laughs>
Uh, Nighttime Studios has released a new trailer for their upcoming remaster for System Shock 2, System Shock 2 Enhanced Edition. Uh, so this is not a remake like the System Shock remake from May, but this is the uh, a remaster of System Shock 2, which is System Shock 1 before the version that came out this year also had the same sort of remaster enhanced edition. I think so this enhanced edition was things... announced like forever ago and I almost just forgot. Yeah. Oh yeah, this was announced already like five years ago or whenever. Well, well remember it's, it feels like it's in the rearview mirror now, but we kind of joked for the remake on the same thing. The system shock yeah. remake was delayed something like two or three or four times. And I'm, it came out what? And eventually it finally came out in May. I played it. It's great. By the way, you should play it. If you had any interest in system shock, but didn't play it when it originally came out, I really enjoyed that game. Um, but we kind of joked, like, is it actually going to come out? I believe it when I see it. Nur, nur, nur. Then it, it came out and it was good. So it, it was one of those delays that was worth it. It ended up releasing in a really good state. Um, you should play it. And I, I, this is kind of a little bit shallow of me, but because System Shock 2 Enhanced Edition is just a remaster, I'm sure it's great and I'm sure I would enjoy it if I played it. But I'm also kind of like, well... What if I just drag my feet for like five and, years? And, and, <laughs> five years, like ten years at this rate. Ten years. Yeah. And may, maybe this game will just eventually be be remade. Uh, uh, it's it's so hard because I love System Shock too. Like uh, more than mm-hmm. way more than System Shock. I did play the remake yet, but I have really fond memories of System Shock too. So a little part of me is like, fuck, don't wait. It's so good, but I understand like the the. The temptation to wait for a remake, however many years, because the System Shock remake uh, was, you know, received so well and looked so good. And then, uh, if if you pre-ordered that remake, you do get this for free. Well, not for free, but included. Uh, it's not dated yet, so they just say it will be releasing on PC and Xbox and PlayStation in the near future. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. A couple, I think we're over to some sales updates and a couple release dates. Uh, Lies of P, the game we said that none of us here have really played quite yet, did reach a million copies sold. So there that's, you go. That's really good. That's very impressive. You know, I'm, I'm sure Neo is uh, and uh, Round Eight Studio are very happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it seems to be like like you mentioned the other the other podcast. It's like it's like I've heard this more and more now since that episode that like. People are just like, man, I'd rather play Lies of P than Lords of the Fallen. Yeah. <laughs> for, for both people that played it, obviously. Well, Lords, so. Lords of the Fallen have potential. I think with just like more patches and just fine-tune the game, it, mm. it could be excellent. That's why. I, I mean, not to say that Lies of P doesn't have its own fair share of flaws as yeah. well. Like, I definitely said valid criticism to like, like, a, like a lot of like the useful upgrades is like, I like locked behind the skill tree. Like the things that would be like inherent to Bloodborne, for example, are locked behind the skill tree. In Lies of P, and and that kind of makes like the early to mid uh, game exp- experience uh, more frustrating than it would have if you had like, you know, a certain upgrades already with you that were inherent. Like some, like say some maybe boss fight encounter design, like are are tuned in a way that like it felt like it would have been way more fun and enjoyable if you had like certain like mobility upgrades uh, and so forth. So that's kind of like the, the the thing that I've heard about it. Which is a fair criticism, I think. I wish I could just like freeze time and play both these games and then compare them. <laughs> yeah, because 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 inherent because obviously they're being compared because they're similar games that release in a similar window. Mm-hmm. Um, is that fair? Or is that not fair? Yeah, kind of beside the point. 
It's probably what obviously yeah, that the, yeah. Um, the press release for this right. uh, Liza P sales milestone kind of focused on that like this is a console game from a Korean studio, mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. just Korean studios are known for mobile games for MMOs, but like single player console RPGs, you know those sorts oh, of things are not point. really known for. So like this is a big success for yeah. a Korean development te- like not just this team but like Korean development that you know, scene. So for a game to reach a million copies and be generally well-received and kind of be outside the the scope of what is traditionally known as like, you know, a Korean MMO or a Korean mobile game. So yeah, that's from the CEO of NeoWiz, the publisher. We do have a couple other release dates here. Uh, the, we talked about this when it was announced. I remember this is one of the last podcasts I was on before I stepped out for a few weeks. Uh, the tactical RPG Beast will release in early access on October 25th. This one is sort of weird in that they announced first that the game was releasing next year. It's an indie, like, gridless tactical RPG. And then they announced, we decided we're going to do early access this year. And they even say, like, we're only planning on being in early access for a few months. So it's kind of interesting. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just, like, they decided that getting this sort of, you know, revenue plus getting that feedback before the full release next year that they that they planned on is what they wanted to do. Which, honestly, we've seen a lot of success out of early access games, like World of Horror. Both, both short and long. So, you know, yeah. Hades. So, yeah. Um, Yggdra Union. This seems to be a very short early access because they think they're going to be coming out early next year. So maybe just half a year or so, but yeah. Well, I think that's just good to have clear marketing because like, yeah, obviously you've had successes like Baldur's Gate three, which was in early access for like two plus years, three years, but they don't want to say like, Oh, this, if this game's going to be in early access for so long, I'm not even going to give it the time of day. It's like, no, it's only going to be short window. And it doesn't have to be short, but they're just being very clear about it. They could have easily said, we're planning to be in early access for a year plus, but they're not keeping it up to interpretation. They're just making the, the communication very deliberate. So I, it, I it is kind of, yeah, I mean, it is, it's like for, for people like me, it is kind of benefiting for it because like usually I'm a person that like won't really play a game in early access and will just wait for the full release. And then by that point, that game has already been like refined so much during the early access period that like I just have like a way better first impression of it. Like the like it's let's say if Cyberpunk went into early access up until like the release of like 2.0 this year. And so now, you know, it maybe would have been way, 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 way better received, you know, if a, a big publisher and developer like that was willing to go through like the <laughs> really an early access period for that game. Because in a way, it kind of was early access. Yeah, in a way. In a way, in a way. So, I wonder, I always wonder about, like, if more and more people will just kind of use early access as that kind of, like, that buffer window to refine something before fully releasing it, and then kind of getting that early goodwill, because, like, you're you're really, you're really to forgive a game, uh, you're, uh, like, you're really to forgive more of its flaws if it has that early access label on it, it's like, oh, okay, they're the, it's like an active development. Even if that early access label is just like an aesthetic choice, uh, for in some cases, you know what I mean? I think there's yeah. a cynical uh, way to look at it, and where you're like, well, they're is, already asking for your money, and like you should just, you know, 
criticize it or you know evaluate it as you would any other game. But I think like when you go to make that purchase for a game that's in early access, you're you kind of have like to have to have the understanding that you know exactly, things might yeah. not be un might not be finished or yeah. might be untuned. Whereas if a game is not early access and you're handing over money, you're sort of working with the assumption that like this is should be complete. Right. Yeah. That, that's why I say like you know like when games are in early access, you're willing to forgive it more of it's like it's flaws right there and then because it has that early access label on it. So. You, like you use that early access label as like a sort of understand that this is an active development that's gonna get fixed hopefully by full release, and then so now you have like a it, it, you're you're way better you're more likely to have a better time with a game's initial release if it came out of early access than if it didn't and it and it came out flaw and like buggy and had, you didn't have a good great time and it, you know so. It's that, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I, I I think early access is a good thing overall, and I like waiting for like releases, like World of Horror, to be in full a full release than like than like playing an early access build of it. But I just think that like in some cases, I can see how people can take advantage of the early access label for more. I'm not saying nefarious means, but it it kind of is like kind of like almost like a get out of jail card in some specific. Circumstances, but I think that's just the way how my mind is. Rough, is no, I can uh, I can see that cynicism, it. like genuinely, where it's like they're just releasing an unfinished game and wanting getting revenue for it while they finish it. You know, that's mm. there's a cynical way to look at it. But then you could also try to meet them halfway and say like, well, if that's what it takes for them to get across the finish line, like you you do what you gotta. Mm-hmm. One game thing development, I do game development's weird. Thing. Game development's weird. And also <laughs> very hard. Yeah. And they, like one thing I thought was interesting with this Beast game is they always try to market it very clearly as gridless. They always gridless tactical turn based. Well, that's fine. You know, gridless is you know that's not bad. It's just interesting that they're putting that like kind of they're making sure to state our game's gridless. Like you're not going to be held down by those darn those darn grids. <laughs> it seems well, like considering very, every other <laughs> tactical RPG wants to be like a Final Fantasy Tactics, like we are not that. We are something else. Yeah, so it's fine. It's just, it's just kind of like I, a, I do. I do know there are some people that like when they see a grid on like an RPG, they're like, oh, like nope. Why would you show me that? <laughs> I actually, I actually, I think I poked fun at it earlier. Where when Persona Five Tactica was announced, someone was like, Persona Five Tactica gets its Final Fantasy tactics, and it's just like, oh, oh <laughs> god damn it! When it's clearly more XCOM-ish, like mini XCOM. Salt and Sacrifice will be releasing on Steam and Switch on November 7th. It looks like it's already out on PlayStation 4 and 5. Oh, I guess it was also out on PC, but Epic exclusive uh, yeah. back in May. I forgot about that. So it's, yeah, it's last going May. to... Not this May. Last May, yeah. A year and a half ago. So it'll also come over to Steam this year and also Nintendo Switch on November 7th. Yeah, then there's also going to be a new free update called The Traitor's Tomb coming on that same day, which adds new dungeon, new bosses. NPCs and secrets. So, you know, it's going to be priced at uh, $19.99 USD on Switch and Steam. And that's already been Steam Deck verified for people who want to play on a Steam Deck. And yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, it felt like forever ago that Salt and Sacrifice came out on EGS. It's kind of, it, it's like one of like the, uh, it's it's held out on EGS for quite some time. It, it, it felt longer than last May 
because you know, like recently Tony Hawk Pro Skater, the one and two remake came out on Steam as well. Like that felt like one of the holdouts from EGS for the longest time. But I think everyone wants to know. It's like when is Kingdom Hearts coming to Steam? <laughs> Getting away from EGS? On that. I think that's like the, the the one big epic exclusive right now on PC. I I genuinely think we're never gonna see Kingdom Hearts on Steam just because there's and the thing I keep coming back to is that Epic signed a deal with Disney for them to use Unreal Engine for like CGI in their films. I would not be shocked if part of the reason why like uh, Kingdom Hearts is exclusive to Epic or even came to the PC in the first place is because there might have been a stipulation in that contract. It's like the only thing I can think of because it's been so long. It's been like almost three years or something. It's like, yeah, has it been, I, no I, way. I, has I, it been three years? Oh my God. No way. <laughs> I, I, I was a chump and purchased those games when they came out on PC. And I'm, but there, was it two, two years ago they came out? It was, it was two and a half years. I think it was March 2021. Holy shit, that still feels like forever ago. <laughs> God, time keeps flying. I, I felt like that was like last year, but damn. <laughs> but yeah, it's been two and a half years. It's like, I still see some people say, oh, I, I'll wait for it to come out on Steam. Guys, it's been two, it's been two and a half years. Just, just keep on holding out, guys. You never know what Square Enix. Five years from now, all of a sudden, it's like, it's on Steam. You never know. Oh, I, I even ended up buying Final Fantasy VII Remake twice. You have it on the re- on Epic Games Store. I still congratulations. So yeah, yeah, it's great. You really got got you with that one. Then holy, like I have nothing against Epic Games Store. I just like to have all my collections in one launcher. That's all. Yeah. basically. Yeah, that's that's the that's understandable. Like like it, once Diablo Two Resurrected comes to Steam, I'll probably get that because you know I really like the the devs behind it and just be a really faithful great edition of uh diablo 2 but i don't want to i don't want to get like the act of the was it uh the activision blizzard launcher BattleNet for it mm-hmm. well BattleNet's well, that- days are probably numbered at this point anyway so. so yeah as more and more from that guy is i'm getting on the steam so i'm like i'm i'm optimistic that uh diablo 2 resurrected or whatever it was called um will go on to steam soon and speaking of that, uh, James did make a update to our listicle for games that are well suited and verified or independently checked on Steam Deck. Yeah, and James, I. Uh, what, what was like the recent addition to that list? Uh, so it was a couple of games. Uh, one, uh, Lords of the Fallen. At the time, it wasn't officially verified or playable, but the devs said something about it being supported, and I booted it up, and it's like, oh yeah, no it. It works. It's like even got like a Steam Deck like button icons and whatnot. You go into the uh, controller layout and it shows you like a Steam Deck. So it's like, oh, okay. Um, that is now officially listed as a Steam Deck playable. I'm guessing probably not verified because of uh, text size, because it even supports like 800p natively. It doesn't need to like be 16 by 9. It like supports 16 by 10 just fine. Uh, so that's obviously added um, Persona 3 Reload, even though it's not coming out until next year, is Steam Deck verified already. So that's cool. There's also um, a recent update to Monster Hunter World Iceborne, right? To make it yes, more friendly. Yeah. yeah, it was already playable. But uh, one thing that they changed is like if you have like armor sets or layouts, you can actually name them things. 
So before you would have to manually input the uh, shortcut to open up the Steam Deck's uh, software keyboard. Now, Monster Hunter World's been updated where every time it has a text input field, it will automatically call the Steam Deck's keyboard for you. That's good. Yeah, it's, it seems like it's a bit, such a basic feature, but that's that's huge. I, I always forget what the shortcut to get the keyboard. It's like Steam button plus left or something to get the keyboard up otherwise it's steam button plus x it's it's like once you like remember it it's not that bad but the fact that more and more games are like explicitly supporting the deck in the sense that you don't even need to do that it'll like just like make use of the steam api to do it for you is really really cool um Mm -hmm. but yeah um that's been getting a lot of support like as time goes on like uh, the i think the the just the industry as a whole it's like it's taking steam deck more and more seriously i i think part of it is is that uh for a developer it's probably useful to have like a set like piece of hardware that you can target for minimum spec mm. and like steam deck is like perfect for that because yeah, that's true because like if it can run on Steam Deck, it can run on basically any desktop PC. So it's like, okay, if you target to make sure your game can run on Steam Deck, then hopefully that means it won't be an issue like further up the chain. At least that's my theory. James, I have an important question. It's not RPG related. Yeah. Does City Skylines 2 run on Steam Deck? Uh I'm not installing that. It's like <laughs> Like like impossible to run or something. Chow, they like some um, PC games hardware like uh, D or something just put up a video of them trying to run City Skylines 2 with a 13900KS and a 49D at native 4K and it ran at like 10 FPS. Jesus Christ! I think is the benchmark for is the benchmark for for that game like to like it can get a stable like thirty FPS at ten eighty with really high specs or something. Uh, okay, one thing I will say, uh, I did find out later on that the uh, those specific numbers were with a Ryzen five fifty six hundred X, and the recommended well the minimum required CPU or recommended CPU. For City Skyline 2 right now is a 5800X. So so it's still not good, but those numbers, let let me put it this way. If you have a 4090 and you're still using a Zen 3 CPU that's not like a 5800X 3D, I'm going to be real with you. You have money to upgrade. You're doing it wrong. But... (laughs) Like, Still, the, optimiz- yeah, the early optimization for that specific game, like throughout the week, like caught my eye. It's like, oh man, this uh, this game is gonna be really something when it comes out, and uh, rubber beats the road on that. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah. comes out like I mean, reviews went live, so obviously it's coming out soon, and it's yeah. like, ugh, ugh. Yeah, needs to be an optimization nightmare for that one. Then I have one light addition here on the podcast doc. Another announced RPG. This is Duet Night Abyss for mobile devices and PC from publisher Hero Entertainment. Yeah, so Adam, you put this up just yesterday. So yeah, developer Pan Studio. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. Like, uh, it looks like anime Warframe the way that you describe it. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I I watched this trailer and I watched like the story build up to it, and I wasn't expecting the gameplay that came out of it when it's when the trailer hit for it. Like the like the the anime lady just pulled out a, a rifle out of there and became a, a third person shooter. Then became mm-hmm. like acrobatic focus mixing melee. 
And it's like, oh shit, this is just Warframe. And sure enough, um, it is very much uh, like a cracked version of like Warframe with like an- with anime people. Um, and yeah, and people have done like side by side comparisons of like this game and Warframe. And a lot of those animations kind of look very similar to Warframe. Um, but it looks really cool. It, lo- it looks very fun, uh, the way that they're, they've shown it in the trailer. It, it's so there very... is a pre-registration right now on the official website, but there is no statement for when the game will be available to play, either in closed access or full release or beta or anything. But you can register. I will give them that. I would much rather have a game try to copy Warframe than they try to copy Genshin in terms of gameplay. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I would take that over because I would never because I didn't play much of Warframe, so I wouldn't know what what the base to compare with. Mm-hmm. But yeah. here, I played the other one, Astra. I was like, I already played Genshin, so it's like I, I'm ripping this apart because of Genshin. But I, I thought you I thought you don't play Genshin anymore. I don't, but at least I okay. play it good. I know. Yeah, so, so like yeah. so yeah, people people going into this like it'll feel like a new experience for them because they never played Warframe. And, and for Warframe people to be like, this looks weird enough to like try out, <laughs> you know? That's, sure, why not? Let's see what other people's takes on like the Warframe formula is. And you know, it looks really fun. It looks really fun. They have like uh, there's like parkour abilities, different ways of navigation. You can like fly around. You can ride a stampeding pig. Yes, one of them can ride a stampeding pig. Uh, one, one, one of the anime people uh, turns into a giant. It has like like tentacles that like envelop enemies. Uh, also, not to harp on the pig, but it's not like a warthog pig. It's like a piggy bank pig. Yeah. So there you go. Mm-hmm. So it looks, you know, I'll definitely keep my eye on it. It looks pretty fun. Adam, you really like the press release for this game. <laughs> yeah, the press release, it okay. kind of felt like English second language, which it probably is. But so there's a little bit of a weird stiltiness to it. But they're also like... We, the publisher, were involved in the investment of games like Wuthering Waves and Punishing Grey Raven and Wukong Black Myth. So evidently, we have a great eye for for high quality, you know, projects. It's like, well, uh, I guess I, I, good job patting you, yourself yeah. on the back for games that aren't even yeah. out yet. Okay. Exactly. Evidently, like two of the three titles they they listed aren't even out yet, which is Black I Myth. I think Wukong Punishing Grey Raven is the only one that's out. Yeah. So like, okay. I heard good things about that gotcha game, but I heard that it burned a lot of goodwill from the start, so now it has to play catch up. I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Like, was, I never really played that game, but that I mean, this game looks cool. I, I, I wish the best of luck with it. I'll probably try it when it comes out. This for PC and mobile, right? Yeah, both PC yep. and mobile. Yeah, and, and it's it, it's kind of cool that like more and more of these like uh, games are starting to have like PC releases. Like I know Reverse nineteen ninety nine. We'll also have a PC client as well. Um, we'll release simultaneously with the mobile version. So that's always, uh, you know, I, I don't like playing these games on my cell phone. I usually play an emulator. But if you give me a PC client, I'm more likely to try out their game. Going to move my progress from Ever Crisis from PC, uh, from mobile over to Steam. Right, yeah. That's it. <laughs> Are you actually going to try out the PC release of, the, of Ever Crisis? No. I finished the base game story, oh. and and I did like the Sephiroth thing that they oh, added or whatever. Okay. Yeah, but I think n- now, like normally, one of my bad habits is that I keep games installed so that I can keep playing whenever they update them. Like I recently just was playing the updates to uh, Wo Long, the DLCs to that. Uh-huh. But for whatever reason, for like Ever Crisis, like I'm like I'm done, I'm good. 
But Brian, there's a Halloween, part. there's a Halloween event, and you can have Aerith and the pumpkin outfit with her pumpkin oh, weapons. I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know how I managed it, but I played a decent amount of Ever Crisis because you have to you build your battle power what up pretty high in order to beat the final story missions. Yeah, but I somehow never unlocked any other alternate outfits. Like I, I didn't do enough polls, or I was too unlucky. So I have everyone in their default outfits still, which is just the way I want it. But yeah. no, I have, I don't really have any interest in the Steam client. But if it had come out on Steam Client day one, I, that's probably where I would have got it. Yeah, me too. But I was like, I, I can't stand this game anymore. <laughs> I played as much as I could. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I just, uh, there's so many things about it that I just do not like. And that's kind of where I'm at too. So, <laughs> so you know. So obviously, over the next couple of days, uh, Cry Machina um, and World of Horror will be releasing. Um, um, I'm trying to see what else is coming out in October. World of Horror is out. Yeah. Uh, no, so it was weird. So World of Horrors PC release recently came out, but at when the, it came out in that same post, they're like, oh, we had to like delay the console versions. So PlayStation oh, so the console Switch versions coming out like a week. week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just remembered. Thank you for reminding me. Um, what's coming out this upcoming week? I'm trying to think. I think I, th- I think the big one is, uh, well, not big, relatively speaking, is Dark Envoy. Okay. It was a CRPG that's been getting a little bit of... Um, uh, marketing and then going into November, the big release, of course, right on the November 2nd is the Star Ocean remake or remaster remake. One of those remakester, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's gonna be like, uh, like any big RPGs uh, until that Star Ocean. Um, yeah, you'll we'll get Star Ocean and Like a Dragon Gaiden, the Tales of Arise DLC, right? No idea how, how substantial that'll be, and then the Super Mario remaster. There you go. Super Mario RPG will be a good short RPG. I don't know if it counts because it originally came out in the nineties, but there you go. <laughs> but yeah, like for the for the entire like rest of October, aside from Cry Machina's release, there's not really any big RPGs. Little Goody Two Shoes is really RPG, mm. but it does have RPG elements coming out on Halloween. The um, two games that I want to make sure I at least get my feet wet on so I can speak to them are Starfield and Diablo Four. I don't know if I'll jump in on a Steam release. Just just because I, I did enjoy two and three, I just ignored four when it released earlier. So I, I want to at least play through the story. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, will, I will I will give I will give you that the campaign experience of Diablo Four is decent. Everything surround like like end game stuff is. Who season two is better than season one right now, but still not great. Uh, it's still I have a coworker who doesn't play a lot of games but like I think he grew up with Diablo so he, yeah. you know he played Diablo 4 and he was just like wow that was really short like, he's not the sort of person to uh play like the season content or whatever yeah, he just yeah, yeah. The campaign and like all right you know maybe that'll be a short game to be good to play it. yeah uh, my girlfriend might, is interested in potentially getting a group to get to play it as a as a group of people so I might I might see if I can set that up but okay that, yeah that'd uh, be that'd be those, great yeah play it in co-op so mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what we are. There, there's definitely a lot of releases I still want to get to before we give it the year, like Liza P, mm. maybe Lords of the yeah. Fallen, um, sea Adventures of, of Die. There you go. You want to go? I, I need I need a second die supporter. All right, so uh, hop in, log in. <laughs> well, thanks for having me back on this episode of the Tetracast. I will be, be we will hopefully I'll be back next week. I'm planning to make it next week. Uh, you can find all the reviews that we talked about as well as the features up on the website at rpgsite.net. That includes the Adam's Cry Machina review, Josh's World of Horror review, uh, page with Detective Pikachu Returns. We have Paul's feature on Grandia 2. 
uh, as well as all the news we covered in this podcast up on rpgsite.net. You can find RPG site on all the social media networks. We're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And we will be back next week with another episode of the Tetracast. Again, thank you to everyone else here, uh, Adam, James, Josh, and Chow, for holding on the fort while I wasn't here. And we'll be back next week. So until you hear from us, stay safe and take care. We'll talk to you all next time. Mac and cheese.